Hello, friends, enemies, haters, strangers, and fans. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Just One More Thing podcast. My name is Norgi, and today's episode um, is going to be difficult. And for those of you who know me um, and might be aware of some of the situation, you are going to hear things that um, will bother you, that might be disturbing to you, that um, might surprise you, and you are going to hear the names of some of the people that um, I'm referring to, and you might know some of those people, and some of those names and people might not be in the light in which you know those people, but I'm speaking from my own experiences as much as I can um, to clear the air and to set the record straight and sort of put this whole thing to bed, as it were. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, and a reminder to those of you who do, I am no longer associated with the Racine Theater Guild. Um, in November of 2022, which was just this past winter, I resigned from the board of directors um, at a meeting that we held at a location outside of the actual theater. And uh, my resignation was surprising to everyone that was there. Um, it was sort of surprising to me, but um, it needed to happen. And uh, in the midst of sort of everything that happened at that point, I was involved in uh, a production of The Little Mermaid, which I will talk about here uh, very shortly. But um, I have not set foot in the Racine Theater Guild, the property, uh, since uh, Little Mermaid wrapped at the end of December. Um, and I just want to be clear from the outset, um, this is not um, because I was removed. This is not because I committed a crime. This is not because... Um, I was told to leave. Um, I made this decision on my own. And there are a lot of things that have, that went into making this decision to leave. And again, it's not just one thing here um, that happened or something that happened during a show or anything like that. Um, I, I mean, I guess some things did happen during some shows, but there's no one thing I can pinpoint as the reason to my departure and my disassociation from the organization. Um, it's just a collection of things, which um, I'm going to try to talk about as much and as comprehensively as I can to give you sort of the broad view of everything that I've experienced and the situations that I've been in and the conversations that I've had. Um, and again, there are going to be some names that you hear, and, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, that you will hear some of these names in the way that they're going to be talked about. But um, it's time for the truth to be told. And I just want to be clear, I'm not, uh, I'm not a fan of the saying, you know, um, tell your truth, tell her truth, tell his truth. This is the truth. And you can choose to believe it if you want to or don't. It's entirely up to you. But this is the truth, the way that it happened Um from my point of view, which I'm going to give you. Um, on the flip side of the coin, in which I say I, 
I'm going to mention some names of people negatively. Um, there are an overwhelming amount of people uh, involved with the Racine Theater Guild who I love, respect, admire, uh, am friends with, am close with, um, associate with. And so this is not an indictment of those people. And I know that um, many of you have been uh, more or less jumping to the conclusions of uh, me bad-mouthing um, people who are involved with specific productions um, as a whole. Um, that hasn't, that's really not the case. And also, I understand why you might feel the way that you feel um, and why you react the way that you react. Um, you are reacting to something that you're seeing and you react to what you see. And without all of the information, one can't expect you to react in a way that is um, conducive to the entire story. But, um, you know, ever since I uh, essentially stopped my association with the Racine Theater Guild, um, I have not really mentioned them by name or anyone by name uh, at that organization for a reason. Um, I was, uh, I guess it was a more uh, a self-imposed moratorium, if you like. And, uh, you know, it's been... It's been six months, essentially, since all of this sort of um, came to a head, and some other things have happened uh, in those six months since I um, withdrew my participation from the Racine Theater Guild, and I will talk about those as well, but, um, you know, this one, this episode is going to be pretty incendiary, and again, you're not going to like a lot of what you hear probably, but you deserve to know the truth um, because I know there's a lot of conjecture out there. And uh, certainly I can't tell you that there have been many people that have come to me directly to ask about the situation. Uh, and that's fine. Um, but I've never shied away from having a conversation with anyone about anything, but people have been choosing to try to uh, basically uh, corner a person involved with the Theater Guild that um, they think um, apparently is my handler or um, is my press agent or uh, is Harvey Levenstein from, from TMZ and just has the inside scoop of everything. And it's gotten to a point that this person can't even have a conversation with any of these people um, without a genuine conversation at that, without it being made about me and the things that I've apparently said or haven't said or allegedly said or what I'm doing or who I'm talking to or what I had for breakfast, blah, blah, blah. And it's a shame because this person doesn't deserve to be treated that way. This person doesn't deserve to be the middleman or the, the uh, you know, the, the go-between or the liaison between all of us. But here we are, and, uh, you know, I'm going to address that as best as I can. Um, I'm going to do my best to um, either not name uh, people who are sort of innocent bystanders or not guilty of anything, if you like, 
um, in this episode, um, or even maybe give them a pseudonym for the purposes of of context. But um, I'm going to avoid naming names. You can make whatever assumptions you want to about who it is, blah, blah, blah. Um, not for me to say, and I'm not going to say. So um, I just want to talk a little bit about um, my my history with the Racine Theater Guild. Now, I walked into the Racine Theater Guild um, like freshly 20. Uh, someone had bought me tickets to a show. Um, I'd never even heard of the Racine Theater Guild up to that point, but they bought me tickets to a show, and it was uh, as a birthday gift, and I could not make it on the date that they got me the tickets for, and so I wasn't sure what to do, so I found the address, and uh, <laughs> I map-quested it, and uh, I drove there and talked to someone at the box office and said, hey, is there anything that can be done about um, these tickets? Uh, my friend got these for me as a birthday gift, and I really want to see the show, but I can't make it on this specific date. And they said, no problem, um, great. Um, so we exchanged the tickets for a different date. There was no issues there. They were very nice. But um, on my way out, I noticed a um, uh, like a pamphlet that had the seasons um, shows written in there, and um, I saw the Music Man, and I had just done the Music Man in high school. It's arguably my favorite musical ever, and um, I I thought that once I got done with high school, that the only way that I would ever be involved in theater is if I you know moved to New York or or Chicago, or California, whatever, and, and did professional things. And I, I wasn't at a point in my life where I thought that that was feasible or smart or that I had the talent to do so. So I thought I'm essentially going to be giving up on my love of, of, of theater and, and performing. And so uh, I mustered the courage to audition for a show, uh, that show, The Music Man, and I was cast in the ensemble, and it was... A fantastic time. Um, one of the highlights of my life. I don't remember a, a bad thing ever happening to me during that show that I would consider was detrimental. I sprained my ankle during the preview performance, and, you know, that was unfortunate. But, you know, that was just an accident. It wasn't like someone sabotaged me or, you know, I don't think anyone had a voodoo doll that was trying to, you know, hurt me, but um, that was the worst thing that happened to me during that show. Um, I have fond memories of the people that I met and interacted with, um, people who were also first-timers at the Theater Guild for that show, um, sitting backstage, um, you know, when, I'm, when I wasn't on stage and listening to very, very interesting and fun stories from um, a very longtime member named Jimmy Organ, um, rest in peace, who was a, an exceptional uh, man who um, was just willing to um, talk to you about anything, give you advice, um, and uh, I, I, I hold him in the highest regard, and I, I, I know that I miss him, and I didn't. I only knew him for my involvement of that show, but um, I'm sure that there are others who worked with him extensively um, in his long onstage and backstage career that um, can attest to um, what a what a good guy he was. Um, 
and his wife. So uh, I did Music Man. I believe we ran five weekends. Um, it was it didn't feel like five weekends. It felt like five minutes. To be honest with you, it was it was a uh, it was a blur. But man, was it fun! And um, I I I got that bug again, and I just wanted to do theater as much as I could. Um, unfortunately, at the time, I worked in retail, and I worked for a company that um, more or less made it uh, their goal to make sure that I didn't have a life outside of working. Um, that company's Walgreens, by the way, which is um, a terrible company to work for, quite honestly. Um, I have nothing good to say about them as employers. Um, I know some people that work for Walgreens, and, you know, it's nothing against you, but uh, I did not have a good experience. Um, but anyway, I couldn't do a lot of shows. And so um, the next time I was able to do a show at the Theater Guild was Scrooge the Musical. And I believe that that was the third year of Scrooge, because at that time um, they would um, oftentimes the Christmas show would be done two or three years in a row um, to recoup the investment of the extensive set and everything else. But um, this was a, this was a very popular show. Um, with a lot of popular cast members in there. And I just, you know, I was happy to be involved. And um, I was able to finally get a job where, like, I could take days off to do the uh, outreach performances, which was a lot of fun and my first experience doing outreach there. And so, um, again, uh, I I tried, uh, I tried out for the show. I was in the show. It was a lot of fun. Um, there was... Uh, uh, there was a the final uh, the final performance of the show. Um, the cast was basically sobbing on stage, which was uh, not very popular, um, according to some. But um, it was a lot of very real and raw emotion, and I got emotional too. And I was only involved with that show the last year. There were people who were involved all three years, and they had every right to be emotional. But um, um, that was a that was a great show um, and a great experience. And again, I um, I was starting to feel um, more confident in my abilities, and I thought, you know, I want to try for bigger things. So, as as uh, as I was looking at the shows that were being named for a season, um, I would determine, you know, what shows I really wanted to do, so that, or at least try to do, so that, um, you know, I could get off of work and whatever the case may be. But uh, the next show that I remember auditioning for was, um, wow, it's gone out of my head. Oh, Guys and Dolls. I auditioned for Guys and Dolls. And this is the only show in the history, in my history at the Racine Theater Guild that I have dropped out of. Um, and I'm going to tell you why I dropped out of the show. And this is the first um name you're going to hear and negative comment you're going to hear, but it's going to be the first of many. So I auditioned for Guys and Dolls, and I don't remember a lot about the audition uh, per se. I do remember that the auditions were in the green room uh, downstairs, and I do remember that I showed up in a pinstripe black suit, black fedora, because at that time I, I actually you know, looking back on it, I feel pretty stupid, but I thought, oh, you know, this would be fun to dress up and try to look the part as well. 
and I thought that that might be a cool thing to sort of um, help me get an edge or whatever the case may be. I don't know, get more into character or I don't know. Um, I was just trying something new. And so um, I, I auditioned um, and then eventually got an email from the director and um, I was offered the ensemble and I was interested in uh, auditioning for Nathan Detroit, which is what I wrote on my audition card. I said, I'll take anything, but I'd really be interested in Nathan Detroit. So I accepted the ensemble uh, role, which I was fine with. But when I responded and, and, and accepted the role, I made the mistake of um, asking for some feedback because at this point I'd been doing stuff there for, you know, four or five years or whenever it was. I can't remember. I, I want to say it was 2009, this show, maybe 2010. And um, I was trying to see, you know, what do I got to do? Um, what do I need to work on? So I asked um, Doug Instanez, the director of, of uh, Guys and Dolls, and also the managing artistic director of the Racing Theater Guild, whose name you will hear several times in this episode. Um, I asked him, you know, very um, just generally, like, hey, um, I seem to be um, striking out a lot. Um, you know, uh, I'm happy to be in the ensemble, but what can you, can you give me some feedback or can you tell me what I can work on in order to, to be considered more seriously for some of the bigger roles? And his response to me uh, in the email um, was, uh, I mean, this probably, maybe this is an overstatement. I don't know. Um, traumatic. Um, I still, it still affects me to this day, not nearly as bad as it used to, but, um, I've carried this sort of chip on my shoulder for all of these years. And the response that I got from Doug was, well, Norgy, The reason that I didn't consider you for Nathan Detroit was because you are too fat and plain looking to be considered for the romantic lead. You're not a lady killer and you will never be the um, romantic lead in any of my shows. That was his response. And I was crushed because I didn't know what to think. Um, you know, I'd only done, done shows that he directed and the, uh, the interactions were positive and I thought that I was, you know, I was getting good feedback and everything. But this was the first time I felt that there was a coldness to um, the dynamic between us. And, you know, I was 20 21, whatever the case, um, however old I was, and, you know, still relatively new to community theater, and uh, that was one of the most devastating things anyone's ever told me. And of course, you know, I already have um, self-esteem issues, and at that time, I was much thinner than I am right now, certainly. Um, and, you know, I had a jawline back then. Um, I had a full head of hair back then. Um, 
you know, so I, I, I was, uh, confused and, uh, you know, I developed a, what do they call it? Body dysmorphia. And, um, it affected my, my mental health. And, um, I basically was on a perpetual diet for, um, a long time, um, trying to be more of whatever it was that, um, he was looking for in those kinds of roles. And, uh, I just want to tell everyone out there that, um, don't ever let someone else determine your, um, what, uh, how you feel about yourself. Um, I spent a long time and I still think about it again to this day, thinking about those words and how they affected me and how I let them, um, burrow themselves inside of my psyche and subconscious and they ran roughshod on my on my uh, self-esteem and my mental health and um i wish they hadn't but um i struggled a lot um my mood was i went into a depression um i was um you know it was affecting my um, my, my happiness. Um, I wasn't engaged, um, in what we were doing for the rehearsals. So after two weeks of, of, uh, being involved in the production, I dropped out and I never said publicly why I dropped out, but that is the reason why I dropped out. I was, I was, um, I was so, you know, affected by the email that I had gotten from him that I, I felt, um, I felt worthless. I felt ugly. I felt fat. I felt, um, not talented. I felt, um, like I didn't measure up and that's a very, very difficult burden to bear on yourself. And I'm a person who, um, you know, I, I have a very high, um, expectations of myself and I put a lot of pressure on myself and, um, you know, call myself a perfectionist, but it's not really that I'm a perfectionist. I'm just, I'm very hard on myself. And, um, I try not to be, um, I think I've gotten better, but that was, uh, a time in my life where, um, hearing those words or reading those words affected me in a way that, um, they probably wouldn't affect me today, but th that was tough. So I decided that, um, maybe I needed to try something else, you know, give, uh, give a shot to a different show or maybe a different director. So I auditioned for um, a show, a play called The Boys Next Door, which um, was a show that was done at the Racine Theater Guild back in the early 90s, and then they brought it back um, again. Uh, the director was the same. Uh, the director was, um, for uh, a man that many of you know, um, Norm McPhee, who, um, you know, there's <laughs> a million Norm stories uh, some good, some frustrating, some bad. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about Norm McPhee or my experience with that show. Um, I'm very, very proud of that show. Um, it's arguably my favorite show that I've ever done um, just because of the fact that um, it, uh, the show is, is it's a really well-written show and um, it meant a lot to me personally because of the content and, and the role that I played of... Uh, a guy named Jack Palmer, who was a social worker for um, a group of guys who lived in a in a in an apartment together, but they all had um, uh, different um, 
handicaps or mental health issues or um, um, cognitive issues. And so, again, that show meant a lot to me, especially having um, dealt with um, social workers um, in my youth uh, going through the foster care system. And this was my first lead role at the Racine Theater Guild, so another sort of big deal for me because I thought, okay, maybe maybe there's something to this. I, 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 um, I didn't get any of that kind of negative feedback from, from Norm. Um, and again, I, I, I have the utmost respect for him. And I know that, um, he's very, um, he's very specific and he's very precise and he's, he, you know, he gives you all the notes in the world and he, you know, you do different, you know, 10, 15 takes of the same thing because he wants to make sure that, um, you know, it's the way that he envisions it. And, um, I never had a problem with that. I, I appreciate a director who has a vision and wants to try different things and challenges you to, you know, you said the line like this, but what if you said it like this instead? And, um, you know, it changes the context. And he just has this excitement for theater and um, interpretation and characterization that um, was infectious. And I loved every second of being involved with that show. And... Um, it was um, one of the highlights of my theater guild um, tenure, if I can afford to be um, to use that term. Uh, Beauty and the Beast was the show that I did after that, and um, again, I auditioned. Um, I wanted to give this another shot, um, and I got called back for uh, the Beast and for Gaston, and again. Uh, did not uh, did not score one of those two roles. Although I was the um, what we called Beast Number Two, which was based on the fact that the person who played the Beast was going to be the person that was revealed to be the Prince during the transformation. So during the the big um, climax, which is a fight between the Beast and Gaston, um, it was staged so that at, at one point the person playing the beast was pushed off stage and then I was pulled on stage and then Gaston and I would scrap for a little bit while that person was getting their makeup taken off and getting ready for the transformation. And then we staged it so that I would get pushed off stage and then the original beast would be pulled on stage and then nobody would, hopefully nobody would know the difference. Um, and also I was Monsieur Dark in that show. Um, and again, I, I can't tell you why I didn't get whatever role I, I, I was interested in, but I can tell you that um, I didn't ask why I didn't get one of those two roles. Um, I sort of learned from the first time I asked um, why I didn't get a role or what I need to do, that I was never going to do that again, and I didn't, and that was one of those cases. Um, I'm sorry to go through my entire resume, but I'm trying to sort of... Um, build up to some things and, and give you some, uh, to show you some history as, as these things go on. So the next show that I did was a show called Don't Hug Me, which was, um, a, uh, a silly sort of, um, Midwestern, uh, little musical, uh, takes place in Minnesota. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, Uper references and, uh, and, uh, you know, those Northern Wisconsin accents and, um, fishing and hunting and winter and all that kind of stuff. And it was based around, um, sort of loosely based kind of on the music man where a guy comes into town and tries to sell people on something. In this particular case, it was a karaoke machine. 
and the, the, the show was silly and fun. Um, and I had a very good time making it. And I will say that this was another show where I got a lead role, um, cause the cast was only, I want to say four or five people. I got a lead role and, uh, uh, Cara Ernst shock was the director of the show. And, um, I had such a great time working with Cara, um, I've had a great time working with Kara in any capacity I've worked with Kara um, in any shows that she's directed me in, especially. Um, we have a great relationship. Kara is um, is talented as you could be um, when it comes to theater. Singing, dancing, acting, characterization, um, you know, the rapport that she builds with, with the people around her, um, on stage, uh, off stage. Um, I will, I will do, I will audition as much as I can for any show that she directs. And I encourage anyone else to do so either. Um, you know, and I, I, (laughs) I made a couple of boo-boos back then, uh, during, uh, don't hug me that, um, you know, I regret and, and obviously, uh, it had an effect on the show. Um, it, it was an instance where I, I slept, through my alarms and almost missed a show. And obviously that's a big no, no. And, uh, it, uh, it hasn't happened since, but, um, but you know, Carl was rightfully upset about it and we talked it out and everything is fine. And, uh, you know, but that was my mistake. That wasn't her mistake. She had every right to be upset at me for, for, for doing something like that. But anyway, um, second lead role. Um, and again, different director this time. And I'm thinking, okay, clearly, uh, because the, the role that I played was of the, uh, the fiance of the, of the, um, the lead actress. And, you know, here I am being the quote unquote romantic lead. Um, and, uh, someone saw me, saw something in me to give me the role. So, um, and then I, wasn't auditioning for shows. I was focusing on my job and, and other things in my life. And, uh, in 2012, um, I think it was 2012, um, or maybe it was 2011. I know that the show was in 2012, but, uh, maybe this conversation happened in 2011. I got an email from Doug, uh, out of nowhere. And the email was essentially that, uh, Chicago, the show Chicago, the musical Chicago had had its auditions, had been casted, I'm sorry, had been cast, not casted, and that the person that was originally offered the role of the MC um, had dropped out and they needed somebody. Doug reached out to me because he very specifically said that um, he wanted the MC to look like the person in the movie. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he basically said, you know, the guy who plays the MC is black and I would like our MC to be black. And, um, the guy who I originally cast was black, but he's not in it anymore. And, um, I thought you would be a good fit for the role if you're interested. Now I take this, I took it as an opportunity to say, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe this is my time to show him that I can rise to the occasion and, and, and take on the challenge. And I did. And, um, you know, I, I didn't audition for Chicago. I, I didn't want to be in Chicago. 
I'm not particularly a fan of the the musical Chicago. Um, there are things in the show that I enjoy, but you know, I I did not seek out that that role or uh, wanting to be in the show. So um, I did the show, and I will tell you that it was um, a miserable uh, uh, existence. Um, there was a lot of uh, toxic um, behavior backstage. Um, this was my first sort of uh, experience at the Theater Guild where it seemed like there were uh, cliques, groups forming, um, uh, you know, factions of people who, you know, thumbed their noses at people, and I didn't like it. You know, I saw people, again, for the first time, uh, my first time um, seeing this at the Theater Guild, you know, um, men in the show who were who had a their own separate dressing room had their own you know they were doing their makeup separate from everyone else and all that kind of stuff and that was really disheartening because one of the best things about community theater is sort of the bonds and the friendships that you make um off stage and the camaraderie and the dressing rooms and backstage and all that kind of stuff and this was not that um there was a lot of um sort of uh uh, negativity and bickering and disagreements and drama backstage and it just was not a fun time and I tried to make it as fun as I possibly could but for the most part it left a really really bad taste in my mouth and so after Chicago wrapped um, I took a break um, because I was I was so um, you know disheartened from that experience and so um, I decided to um, auditioned for a show in 2015 called Duck Hunter Shoots Angel. That was my uh, my return to, to theater and the Racine Theater Guild. And um, again, this was uh, a role that I specifically looked at because um, the requirement for the role was that um, the person that I auditioned for be African-American. Now, many of you know this, um, and if you don't, you're about to know this. Um, I am not African-American. Um, I am Hispanic. I'm half Cuban and half Puerto Rican. And I've never hid that from anyone. Um, certainly not um, any directors of any shows uh, that I've ever been involved in. But I have mentioned it, you know, when someone says we need someone, you know, we need that, we're looking for someone who's black or African American. I very plainly and um, bluntly tell them I'm not African American. I look African American to um, the casual. Um, passerby, but I am not African-American, and I don't want that to be a point of contention. Um, but it never seemed to matter in these particular cases. And um, and so uh, so I did the show. Um, again, had a great time, and uh, Doug Instanez was the director for that show, too. Um, I didn't have any, you know, major issues um, with with Doug at least at that point, and I'll, I'll tell you that, um, you know, I, after a while, I, I started to sort of keep my distance as far as, like, closeness and that kind of thing with, with Doug, because, um, you know, after the, uh, the wonderful email I received for um, Guys and Dolls, um, you know, I, I just, it was uncomfortable for me at times to converse with him or be... Um, involved in a show so 
that was in 2015. And then again, I took another break. Um, I just, I, uh, I was again, still experiencing some things at the theater guild where people were acting differently and, and the tide had turned and I just didn't like some of the things that were happening. Now, I will say that, uh, in 2016, I believe it was, and this may have been the first year where um, they got a marketing director and the the reveal of the season was much more of a spectacle, um, which was a really, really cool idea that um, they continue to do. Um, but at the time, I was very, very um, angry and bitter towards the Theater Guild because um, in looking at the shows that they were doing and picking and uh, staging, it felt like a lot of the people that were in those cliques that I'd mentioned before, the, the, the factions, the, the uh, whatever you want to call them, were um, the ones getting all the lead roles in these shows. And so... I'm starting to see very dedicated, very hardworking, very talented volunteers basically chased away from the theater guild to other theaters because they didn't feel welcome there. They didn't feel like their talents were being appreciated. They didn't feel like um, they were giving they were given the same sort of opportunities as some of these other folks. And so, uh, the year that uh, I and again I believe this was the first year that they did this where it was you know, on social media and a big spectacle. Um, it was the season that um, that had Fiddler on the Roof as the spring musical. And so uh, someone had sent me a picture of the, uh, the brochure that featured all of the shows that were picked for that season. And I posted something on social media, on Facebook, and I said, I wonder which eight people are going to get cast in all of these shows. And, uh, you know... I caught a lot of hell for that. Um, and I will say that uh, some people were upset from the standpoint of, you know, there are better ways to do this. Perhaps um, there's there's validity in that. But um, some of the ire or most of the ire that I drew from that comment or that post was coming from some of those eight people. So, um, of course, um, they put me on the defensive and it was fine. Um, but I don't regret saying what I said. I don't take it back. Um, I still think that that was very, very true at that time. And I had lots and lots of um, Racine Theater Guild members and volunteers who reached out to me personally um, through email, through text message, phone call, Facebook message to tell me that they were, um, they supported what I did and that they are too afraid to speak up because um, if they speak up, then they know that they'll get blacklisted or they won't get cast in any shows or they'll be, you know, essentially treated um, like a leper. And so um, the dust settled on that. And I, you know, I expected that I was never going to be welcomed back. And then I got an email out of the blue from uh, from Doug um, just saying, hey, um, haven't seen you in a long time. Want to see how you're doing. Miss you around here. Hope you come back. And I was surprised because, again, based on my, you know, my guys and dolls experience before um, and sort of my hesitation to, um, to uh, 
to feel anything as far as closeness. Um, I wasn't expecting that from him, especially because I had very publicly um, said something bad about the Theater Guild. And uh, to his credit, um, when I said, you know, I responded and said I thought I was, you know, uh, persona non grata around there and that I wasn't welcome back, he said, you know, we're family and families fight and disagree sometimes. And um, you're always welcomed here. And so uh, that meant a lot to me. Um, and it still means a lot to me. Um, you know, he didn't have to reach out to me. He certainly didn't have to say, you know, you're welcome here, but, um, he did. And again, um, I needed that. I needed to hear that. I needed to feel that. And I did. And, um, and so I came back to audition for Sister Act in 2018. Um, and, you know, there were only two roles that I was interested in, in, in that show, and so there was either um, Curtis, who was the villain um, of the show, and I'd never played a villain at that point. And then there was um, Lieutenant Eddie Souther, or Sweaty Eddie, um, as he's known in the show. And I auditioned for the show, and I got called back for Eddie, which, you know, I was surprised because I wasn't, you know, the romantic lead in the show. I thought that that wasn't going to happen. Um, but I also know that, um, you know, Doug very specifically told me that he wants um, Eddie to be a person of color. He wanted Dolores to be a person of color. He thought that that, that was uh, an important dynamic, and I supported that. So um, I got called back for Eddie um, along against someone else who, to this day, I don't know who it was, if it was a person who um, had done theater at the Theater Guild before, whatever the case may be. But that person um, ended up not coming to the uh, callbacks um, he called Doug, or Doug called him, rather, and he said that he had to work, so he couldn't make it. So um, I I more or less got the part by default. Um, I hope that, you know, I, or I would hope that my talent merited, um, was warranted me getting the call back and, uh, and that um, whatever, but I'll, I'll never know for sure. I can tell you that um, if I would have gotten the role against um, the other guy. And so this show was sort of my coming out party, my, my renaissance, my arrival, as it were, because this was the first time um, that I got a lead role, um, at least in my mind, uh, in a musical um, with Doug. And um, I didn't take it for granted and I tried to do the best that I could in that role and play it with um a lot of heart and play it with um drawing on my own experiences and again you know I had that chip on my shoulder you know uh you know the fat and plain looking guy um is on stage playing the uh the love interest and um and so in that spirit that dynamic um that was what was important to me. Like that was vindication, so to speak. Um, I'm sorry, validation uh, as well. Uh, that uh, I belonged uh, on that stage uh, in those kinds of roles. So um, it was a uh, it was a big deal to me, and uh, I thought um, you know capitalize on the traction. Uh, the next show that I did was called Things My Mother Taught Me, which was a um, uh, comedy slash drama 
Um, and the director of that show was Nate Stamper. And again, um, another fantastic experience. Um, I, just like I said about Kara, um, would, would audition for any show that Nate Stamper is directing if I can audition. Um, and I encourage the rest of you to do so as well. Um, Nate Stamper is um, a very nice person and his direction on stage is very um, thought-provoking and um, collaborative and deliberate. And, uh, you know, he made you think about what you were doing and what you were saying and the context of a scene and the context of a line. And I think that that really, really was important for that kind of show. And I think that it worked really, really well. And I had the best time uh, doing that show. Again, um, there was sort of this weird um, uh, bump in the road, so to speak, because um, the show is about a younger couple who you know, uh, are, are, uh, serious in their relationship and they relocate to, um, a bigger city, uh, for a job, but also, you know, the, the character that I played planned on taking it to the next level by proposing to, uh, his girlfriend. And so, uh, unannounced and unexpectedly, um, both parents show up to the apartment, um, to, wish them well and to congratulate them and all that kind of stuff. And the, uh, the hijinks sort of ensue. And, um, and, uh, one of the things that was, a kind of a, again, a bump in the road was, um, you know, the people who play my parents have to be in the show. And in this particular case, the people who were cast as my parents were white and, uh, Nate very, uh, very politely came up to me and he said, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but um, I I don't want this to be weird for you. I don't want this to be, um, I don't want you to feel, um, you know, uh, uncomfortable. And I don't want you to be the butt of a joke. But, you know, the, the people I cast as your parents are white. And, you know, you're obviously not white. So, you know, we can add a line to the show that sort of explains um, this or something. And he was trying to you know, make me feel better about the situation. And I told Nate, I said, listen, you don't, you don't have to go through all this trouble. I'm adopted. Um, my, my, my parents are, are white and, um, it, this is just part of life. You know, it's, I think it was 2020, it's 2020, you know, um, you're going there, you're going to see lots of people, um, parents with their children where, you know, that the child might be a different color or a different race or the parents are same sex or whatever the case may be. And we are not obligated to explain this particular dynamic or what the history is. People can come to the show and draw their own interpretations. If they come to the show and their biggest point of contention is, Hey, it doesn't make sense that his parents are white and he's a person of color. Then obviously we didn't do the show for them and they came to the show for the wrong reasons. And I will always, um, appreciate Nate Stamper for, for doing that, um, for trying to advocate for me, for trying to make me feel, um, uh, comfortable and to include me in on the decisions and, and have that conversation. And that was the first time that that had ever happened to me in a show 
whether at the Racine Theater Guild or all through my my grade school and high school. And I will always look on that as sort of a um, uh, the kind of person that Nate Stamper is, and um, not that he needs not that he needs my approval or anything like that. But um, Nate Stamper is a stand-up guy, and and that shows in the way he he uh, interacts with people and actors and shows and stuff like that. So um, I had a great experience doing that show. However, um, and this is another thing that a lot of people may not be very aware of, but um, this did happen. Uh, I was made aware that whether it was an email, a phone call, an in-person thing, um, and I, you know, I, I think it was one person, maybe two people, I don't know, had come to see the show and taken an issue with the fact that um, we dramatized, we, we had a show, the show that, you know, Things My Mother Taught Me, where we dramatized or presented an interracial relationship, and they had a problem with that. Now, I'm not sure why this was brought to my attention except just to inform me that it had happened, um, but imagine being in a show that was really, really well-received, that was a lot of fun, that had good success, that had... Um, you know, just again, was was a great time and was uh, was received well by everyone. And then to be told that, you know, interracial relationship on stage was a problem. And uh, again, while I'm sure that it was addressed in whatever way it was addressed, it was addressed um, from what I was told. Um, it's you know 2020 and that's the kind of thing that um that i have to listen to and that people have to deal with and i'm sure it's not just me but um again this is my own experience so uh that sort of sullied or put a little dark mark on on the uh that whole experience and um and so uh i'm going to fast forward here a little bit to uh for the first time in the years that I'd been involved at the Racine Theater Guild, I auditioned for a show outside of the theater um, at a different theater, uh, specifically one in Kenosha. And um, I auditioned for a couple of reasons. Number one, Kara um, uh, directed it, so I was excited to work with Kara. Um, but also, um, I was getting to a point where I I felt like the roles that I knew that I could play, that I was interested in playing, and, you know, bucket list roles, if I can, you know, that term's ridiculous, but, you know, roles that I really, really were interested in, once-in-a-lifetime things, um, I wasn't seeing those for myself. Um, based on the shows that were being picked and the presentations for those shows, I just didn't feel like... I was going to have a lot of opportunities to sort of be in a position where I could do um, the roles that I felt like I could do. So here's an opportunity to audition for a show that I love and admire and 
um, is high on the list for many show, for many people as one of the greatest um, plays of all time, The Odd Couple. And so I um, I auditioned for the show, and I was cast in the show as Oscar Madison, and um, that was a big deal to me because again, um, I I thought I. I don't know if I'll ever, ever, ever get the opportunity to play this role um, in any other circumstance, but I especially felt that way at the Theater Guild because I didn't, I didn't think that that would be a role that I would ever be considered for. And, um, you know, I thought it was time to, to take a leap of faith, and I was a good um, ambassador for the Theater Guild. My loyalty to that place um, stopped me from auditioning anywhere else for you know, 16, 17 years, um, because I thought that's what a, uh, that's what a good steward of a place does. You, 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 you represent the brand and you, you don't, you don't go play for someone else's team, that kind of thing. And that, um, mentality got me nowhere. That mentality didn't get me, you know, the roles that I, I was interested in, in, in trying to pursue. It didn't get me, um, to be in shows that I thought were, were interesting or anything like that. Um, and I thought, I need to be selfish here for a minute um, and, and try something. And I thought that I was talented enough to do so. And, and uh, Kara thought that I was talented enough to pull off the role. And, um, you know, that was for uh, uh, an independent theater company called Fleen Artists. And it, again, we're talking about uh, a, 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 I guess, a, a, a very young theater company, but um, it felt like they'd been doing theater for a very long time because the culture was different and the inclusivity and the, the um, making sure everyone was comfortable and, and, and uh, uh, treating each other with respect and all that kind of stuff. And it just, it was refreshing. Um, and at that particular time, I was on the board of directors at the Racine Theater Guild. And I wasn't relatively, it wasn't, you know, I hadn't been on there for a long time, but, um, I, you know, I never missed a meeting. I was there all the time, you know, and this is at a time at the theater guild, you know, starting in 2019, um, where I was, um, pouring myself into, um, my involvement there. Um, and so I was involved with pretty much every show that I can think of that had been being done there. And I was on the board and my, my involvement had increased because I got to a point where after I called out the theater guild on Facebook for, um, the thing that I said about the eight people being cast, I thought, you know, I could be one of the sideline, um, armchair complainers, or I can try to do something about it and try to be a conduit for change as opposed to a mouthpiece. And so I decided to put my money where my mouth is and get more involved. And so I did, and I was very involved, um, I can tell you that um, I, I just um, I have a knack for those kinds of things, and um, designing sound is, is sort of became my uh, my uh, expertise, I guess, and um, that's what a big focus of mine was. And and then also I started doing things like I I was a stage manager and I did um, a P a, a pr a production stage managing and that kind of thing, and I just became more and more involved. Anyway. Um, there was a particular, um, uh, board meeting that I had let Doug know that 
I was going to um, have to leave early because I had rehearsal. Now, um, I don't, um, I don't remember if I told him that I had rehearsal, but I told him that I needed to leave early. That I do remember. And his response to me was basically that, um, his response to me was basically that um, he doesn't like it when his people go play in other people's sandboxes. I get mad when people that are involved here are involved in theater in other places and um you know now that you're on the board of directors you have a responsibility to this theater to represent it and this is not a good look and basically gaslit me for for um doing for pursuing theater outside of the Racine Theater Guild and again this is the first time I've ever ever auditioned or done something outside of the theater guild and I was surprised and I was shocked and I was um, angry because I thought I've been, I have been a goodwill ambassador for this place from the day I walked in, um, up to this point and the audacity of this person to tell me that, um, you know, my, my, uh, <laughs> my commitment is not what it used to be and that kind of thing. Um, I remember sitting at work when I got the email and my blood pressure just skyrocketed and I was sweating and I was like, this is, I can't believe that he would say something like this. And so um, I immediately left work and I went, I drove over to the theater guild and I um, went into Doug's office and we had a conversation and I basically told him, you're not going to talk to me like this ever again. Um, this idea that you can fire off an email that talks to people the way that you just talk to me um, needs to stop. You're, you talk to other people like that if you want to, but you're not going to talk to me that way. And, um, you know, telling him, like, I, I'm, I do, I back up what I say here. I've never missed a board meeting I've never missed a committee meeting. I've never missed a, a deadline. I've never missed a date. You know, like, um, I am thorough in everything that I do. I pour, you know, I was there during, in some cases, depending on the show, um, more than the people that were actually in the show, more than the director in some cases, um, because that was my commitment to my craft and to the organization. And so I was be, I was incensed that he would, ever say something like that about me, especially considering my track record of, of um, everything that I'd done there. And so um, the conversation was basically one-sided. Um, he didn't have a lot to say um, because uh, it was in person. Um, he's not someone who likes confrontation. Many of you know that. And he did not handle this well. And to be honest with you, it was that time that I decided, you know what? I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not, I'm not going to put up with that. There's, no, there's nothing about a theater or an organization or a place or a person that is going to, um, that is going to um, trounce my dignity and my self-respect and everything else. So I, um, 
I decided to address it right then and there, and I did, and I felt better. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but I told him, don't ever consider sending me one of those emails ever again. And I thought that he would follow that. And he did. For a minute. Um, and so we get to um, where some of this starts to um, really um, take a turn. And I just want to say that, uh, again, you're going to hear some things and whatever, but this is, these are the things that happened. Um, the season where, uh, the season that ended early because of the COVID pandemic was just starting to, um, take shape. And, and at the time, you know, being on the board, working, um, in my line of work, I was watch. I was following the developments of COVID very, very closely because um, I knew that it was going to have a a very big effect on our way of life because professionally it already was, and it was just a matter of time before all of the things that people did recreationally or just um, in their daily lives was going to change. And so there were two shows that essentially ended up being canceled due to the COVID epidemic. And I was involved in both of those shows, one of them as an actor and sound designer, the other one as production stage manager and sound designer. Show number one was Aquila and the Bee. And that show was, I want to say, maybe two weeks from opening. I mean, we were already in rehearsals. We were already on stage. Um, I want to say that some of the set was already built. Um, we were we were that close to opening. And um, again, this was a show that was directed by Kara, and she was doing a great job, and we were really, really excited to open and do this for um, as an outreach show um, because this is the first time at the Racine Theater Guild that I've been involved where the show was selected by the play reading committee and... Um, it was it was a, a turn of the tide. It was a show about a young black girl um, from inner city Chicago who um, is very, very intelligent but has a very good um, uh, knack for spelling and a and a very specific mnemonic in order to to spell. And so she enters the the regional spelling bee and she um, she fizzles out, but she is then mentored and tutored by um, uh, uh, professor, Dr. Larrabee, who, um, who also was in the, uh, uh, into spelling when he was younger and he agrees to, um, to basically be her coach and trainer. And so, um, you know, finally an opportunity where, especially for an outreach show representation, right? Because I remember being a kid and, you know, going to, uh, a theater or a school or a college um, to see a show in the same way that this outreach program works and not seeing very many people that look like me on stage. And I don't mean exactly like me, but, you know, people who are brown or, you know, are have some kind of ethnicity. And I thought, 
this is an opportunity for some of these young women um, in this day and age who, you know, they don't, they don't get to see positive young female role models that look like them in any sort of light, whether it's on TV or in movies, uh, social media, they get to see this on stage. And it's a girl who's smart and has tenacity and can spell and she, you know, she has um, integrity and all of these kinds of things. And uh, a family dynamic where, you know, the, the mother of, of Akilah um, is invested in her life and, and is a good role model and all this kind of great stuff that, that these are the kinds of outreach shows that we should be doing um, all the time, um, finally. And so I was so excited, and the whole cast was excited, and then we got the unfortunate news. Um, first, you know, we, we were told that, uh, that everything was sort of up in the air because the, um, the COVID situation was fluid, and that's true. I mean, we were, um, we were uh, analyzing the data and looking for news updates and, and uh, you know, listening to the CDC and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, to to sort of see where all of this is going. And so it went from uh, we may have to delay the show until the summer or next season or whatever the case may be. And then we got the eventual um, news that the show had been canceled or the rest of the season had been canceled. However, um, the commitment to staging Aquila and the Bee and also Mamma Mia um, was still there. And so the shows were put on hold essentially until such a time that we decided that um, it was appropriate for us to bring them back. And so when the um, play reading committee selected a season for the next season under the assumption that maybe COVID um, might um, go away and then it ended up not happening, um, Aquila and the Bee and, and Mamma Mia were part of that season. And again, the season was canceled, and we were told again that um, the commitment was still there. We still want to do these shows. They're still very important, and we're, we're still, again, very excited. Now, obviously, with the time that had lapsed since the show had been cast and everything had happened, we weren't sure if everyone was going to come back, you know, if, um, if Akila was going to go through a growth spurt and be six feet tall. We didn't know. Um, but everyone who was in the shows was was guaranteed their role if they came back. So, uh, again, we waited, and then the season got canceled, and then eventually we got to a point where COVID numbers started to um, go on the decline, and uh, <laughs> go on the decline, and uh, and we were looking at opening up for the season, and so Aquila and the Bee and Mamma Mia were added to that season um, as part of the commitment to um, do those shows because, um, unfortunately, they had to be canceled due to COVID. Now, the season was announced um, publicly um, through press release, and it, you know, it, it got whatever coverage it got. I don't know specifically. But um, I remember seeing... Um, someone had commented underneath um, the official um, announcement on Facebook for 
um, the season, someone had commented that um, they were confused and upset because that for that entire season, every show was essentially extended one weekend um, automatically um, because, you know, we're opening again and we want to make some money and make sure that people have the opportunity to see these shows, blah, blah, blah. Um, every show was extended another weekend. So there wasn't a show that didn't do um, less than three weekends. Um, however, Aquila and the Bee, which was on the slate for that season, uh, went from being two weekends to one weekend. Now, I know for a fact that there were members of the cast and crew who were not happy with that decision. We weren't consulted. We weren't part of the conversation into why that decision got made. We didn't, um, we didn't have an opportunity to have a say or to give any kind of uh, feedback. But the decision was made that that show was going to run for one single weekend. And um, we were sad about it, and rightfully so. It was a great show, um, and we wanted people to experience this message, this uplifting message, this positive message, um, this new kind of show at the Theater Guild, because, again, from a cultural standpoint, representation. And also, I know that the Play Reading Committee put a lot of pride into picking that show, and I know that that was sort of the same thing that they felt was was ultimately it's a very it's a good show and it's got a great message but now on top of that we have the context of of the positivity of a young black girl doing something special and um i thought that that was um an exceptional decision and it was a very popular decision and so to have the show reduced to one weekend obviously was not popular um, within the cast and crew of the show. Um, and outside of the fact that, uh, you know, we got the email saying, uh, this is what's happening and we apologize and so on and so forth. There was no other discussion. And so the press release or whatever, the, the, the season reveal video or post was on Facebook And I had just happened to click on the videos or the video and I saw a comment underneath that basically called out the Racine Theater Guild because all of the shows that were announced that season were extended one weekend. However, Aquila and the Bee was reduced um, one weekend and that person took issue with it. I don't know who that person is. Um never met them before, don't know who they are, you know, whatever, um, doesn't matter. But that person essentially called them out for, um, you know, reducing the one show that has people of color predominantly featured, um, and the message behind it, um, that being the only show that got reduced. And so someone from the theater guilds, Facebook page responded to the post or the comment to the tune of 
Um, COVID-19 has changed the way our season schedule looks tremendously. Um, and then talking about the number of, of public performances for the show are only a small indication of commitment to the cast and crew. Um, our managing artistic director uh, would be happy to discuss your questions. And that person was not accepting of basically the very canned response that they got because, um, you know, they, they wanted some answers. Um, and I guess rightfully so. I mean, from, from the standpoint of me as a person in the show, um, why are we reducing this show one weekend to one weekend and every other show got, you know, extended and we didn't know why we never got the answer why. And I didn't, I had nothing to do with the decision. Um, I wasn't part of the conversation. Um, but that was what was decided. And so to see that, um, we were basically reduced to one weekend and the, and the, and the excuse or the reason being that, um, it was COVID related, uh, didn't make very much sense to me um, or anyone in the cast and crew because if reducing the show to one weekend from two is COVID-related, um, why is every other show being then extended, right? Because Aquila and the Bee didn't have a huge cast. It didn't have a small cast, but it didn't have a huge cast. But it certainly didn't have, you know, didn't have the same number um, of people as, say, Mamma Mia, or whatever other shows were done that season. And none of those shows got reduced. All of them got extended. And the only reason that nonsense ended up only being two weekends is because there was a COVID outbreak in the cast and crew, and it forced us to shut down one weekend. So, um, yeah, Aquila and the Bee, which was could have been a huge, huge, huge turning point for the Racine Theater Guild and a way for them to capitalize on, on um, a new direction and, and taking diversity in programming and casting um, an opportunity to, to do something and um, elicit some change was squandered um, because COVID or whatever the reason, real reason is, um, you know, and the person who called them out on Facebook um, wasn't uh wasn't especially subtle about some of the things that they said um i do remember them saying something to the tune of you know the racine theater guild has a history of doing you know shows that don't represent um people of color or even the demographic in the area uh specifically because it's no secret to anyone who is involved with that theater um it is not in a neighborhood that is one particular race or culture or anything. It's a, it's a melting pot, but there is a, a strong um, minority representation very, very closely surrounding that, um, that organization, and those folks aren't coming to the theater, not to watch, not to audition, um, and it's apparent, and obviously the people that are responsible for trying to change that dynamic um, are the people who are at the top of the organization. And um, while there were some 
renewed sort of ideas to uh, change the antiquated um, things or some of the more antiquated things uh, in general, um, they were just talked about and they were never, you know, nothing ever came to fruition, uh, not anything of substance anyway. And so um, that opportunity was squandered. We did the show. It was very well received. And as a per again, as one of the, um, I would say, small number of people of color that was involved in that theater for as long as I was, um, I got to tell you that that show had an effect on me because now I'm seeing people in the audience, um, predominantly people of color. Um, and that was incredibly invigorating and encouraging. And I thought, man, obviously there's an interest here. But we have to, we have to offer these kinds of shows, right? Don't we? Um, you know, I guess there was always that fear that we can't do those kinds of shows because we can't get um, the right uh, demographic to show up and audition. And then, you know, we do this show, we have the auditions, and I went to both nights of auditions, and I and I took pictures, and I I wish I still had them, but the auditorium was filled with very talented um, kids and adults, many of which who were. Um, African-American, Hispanic, uh, Asian, um, you know, different ethnicities. And it was, it was special to be in that room, to finally see um, diversity and the potential to do something special. And, oh, man, I, I, I wish that... Uh, I wish that things had been different with that experience, and it's a shame that they weren't. Um, and again, we never got an explanation beyond, you know, COVID and Easter, I think, was another thing, was we can't do shows at Easter and we'd have to do this and do that. We could have moved the show up a weekend or back a weekend. We, we didn't even get a, a chance to discuss it. And again, we, we didn't, we as a cast and crew, and, you know, the director, we didn't have a say in it. We didn't get a chance to sort of counter offer or advocate for um, more shows. It was just, it, it is what it is. And, and that was the end of it. But again, in looking back at it, opportunity squandered. <clears throat> so I... um. I was um, I was very um, disheartened by that entire thing, and, and it's a shame because we worked really hard. You know, and we, we were, again, two weeks away from opening or a week or whatever it was, and we had waited just as long as, say, Mamma Mia did. You know, and they didn't even have rehearsals. The, the only thing they ever did was uh, what was supposed to be the read-through but ended up being a, you know, a formal, like, hey, we may not do the show because of COVID thing. Um, and I felt like that show was given more, um, more spotlight. It was given more gravitas. It was given more support. It was given more, uh, you know, um, force behind it than Aquila and the Bee. You know, I know that, uh, in, for every show I've ever done at the Racine Theater Guild that Doug has directed, he comes down, um, or, or not directed even. Um, 
he comes down to the green room to thank the cast and crew for their hard work and everything else. Um, and we didn't even get that. We didn't get a, you know, anything outside of the, you know, we're committed to putting this show on still. Um, we didn't get any of that. We, we felt, um, we felt like we were, um, the, the ugly stepchild, you know, the, the grandma in the basement, you know, um, we were just casually disregarded and the important, the, 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 uh, the priority was obviously Mamma Mia. And that's not a knock on anyone who was in the show or who was involved in the show because I was too. I was the PSM and the sound designer. It's not a knock on anyone in that show, but you know, you have a cast of very talented um, people, many of which had never, ever done a show at the Racine Theater Guild before, ever, and many of which who haven't been back since, to be honest, um, audience or otherwise. And their first experience was basically, yeah, here you go, here you go. You know, the curtain speeches where somebody comes out before the show starts to, you know, tell people about um, the, ne the upcoming shows and uh, things happening and, and this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, Akilah and the Bee was never given much oomph. You know, hey, make sure you, we're doing Akilah and the Bee, buy tickets and this kind of thing. It was more like, hey, uh, Mamma Mia, come see Mamma Mia. We're doing Mamma Mia. Tickets for Mamma Mia. Extended Mamma Mia, Popular Mamma Mia, Colorful Mamma Mia, Abba Mamma Mia. It was, it was, um, you know, we were seeing this from the, 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 the VOMs and the backstage area and the monitors that this is, this is how it's being addressed, like out to the public. Um, you know, it wasn't, it didn't seem like outside of the cast and crew, um, it didn't really seem like anyone was, or more specifically, um, that uh, that we were wanted, or that show was important um, beyond the words that we were given. So that was very um, sad and frustrating, and I felt bad for the young the young people in the show because I felt like they were the ones that were the most let down, especially the girl who played Akila, who had to carry that show, right? Because she's got the show she's the title character she um she is the um she carries the show she's got all the lines she's got to do all the spelling she's got to i don't think there was a scene that she wasn't in and she worked so hard to to do her role and she crushed it and i felt like as an organization we let her down because it was not as important as Mamma Mia was because it wasn't going to make all the money Mamma Mia was going to make. And that pisses me off because at this point, it's not about the money, right? The theater is about art. Theater is about, about presenting something. But also, you have opportunities to do something special. And there was an opportunity and to do something special, to have a positive message, to feature people that don't typically come to your theater to do shows or to be involved because they don't feel welcome there, quite frankly. Um, 
and it was squandered. And those kids will will never ever, um, uh, those kids will never ever, uh, you know, get to feel the satisfaction of their hard work in that show. And I'm sorry if it feels like I'm belaboring this point, but you know, I, I need you to know that this is important, and this was, this was sort of a, another notch in the belt of of like, man, why? Why can't we, why can't we be different? All these long range planning meetings and this and that and the other thing. And like, the answer is so simple, you know? And one of the things that I take issue with that I will say is that, you know, when we do some of these shows that have a role or multiple roles that need very specific people, whether we need an African-American for this role or an an Asian person for this role, or we need a, um, a trans person for this role, or we need a, a, um, a, uh, we need a plus size person for this role. Um, in this particular case and in other cases, we may, we do these, we do these, uh, these, uh, special casting calls and notices and send them out to these inner city schools and, and clubs and organizations for these very specific things. And the thing that I always took issue with and still take issue with to this day um, is that um, we, um, why aren't we sending casting notices to these organizations for every show, right? Because we should be trying to promote diversity in casting for every show. Why are we basically saying, hey, um, we need you to be black for this show. Um, you should come audition. No, that's, that's not a culture that, that's not a culture that um, is inviting to somebody. You only want me to show up because you need me to show up and be brown or black. Um, that's counterproductive. And it, again, it's not very inviting. And so, um, I always took issue with that. We should be sending casting notices to these organizations all the time. We want them here, don't we? Not just for the roles that specifically need them. We want them for the roles that don't specifically need them. We want them here. We want mo we want a a a a palette of of different colors and and shapes and sizes and everything. Why are we why are we cherry picking when we need people for specific roles instead of just making them feel welcome all the goddamn time and wonder why we don't get a bigger representation of people of color and wonder why people of color that are already involved in your organization are frustrated as hell. You don't need me to tell you this. The answer is right in front of you. The numbers don't lie. The history doesn't lie. It's common sense. There are people involved in your organization, and I was one of them at the Racine Theater Guild, that are, are working really, really hard on stage, backstage, in the, in the board of directors, whatever the case may be, committees that want, that are asking for meaningful change, and you are ignoring them. You are 
you are ignoring them. Whether it's deliberate or by your callous disregard, either way, you are ignoring them. And that's part of the problem with that organization. Sorry if that's shocking to any of you. You know, focusing on the wrong things instead of the things that are important. Or we talk about something that's important and then we put all of our enthusiasm into talking about it and then nothing ever happens. It gets put on the back burner or we get some old timer that has an issue with change. Why do we need to change? If it's not broke, don't fix it. Why try to reinvent the wheel? The only way to evolve, the only way to change is to push the boundaries of your comfort zone. And I understand that it's a business. I do. I, I get that because I heard it 10 million times. This is a place of business. We got to make money. We got to be profitable. You know, we got to do the shows that, that our, 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 you know, bread and butter clientele want to come see. Well, guess what? Your bread and butter clientele are senior citizens. The same people that took issue with the fact that there was a uh, interracial relationship on stage. Those people. There's nothing wrong with those people, but don't you want to diversify your audience? Don't you want to try to reach out to other demographics, younger demographics, different ethnicities, different races, different everything? Right? I mean, it's a place of business. That's what I would try to do. But, you know, lots and lots of talking and committees and um, subcommittees and ad hoc committees and, um, you know, a committee about a committee, but very little action, if any. Frustrating as hell. And it's not a secret that diversity is lacking a lot in that organization. It shouldn't be a surprise to any of you. It's palpable, that's for sure. As a person of color, I can tell you it's palpable. Especially when it comes to the shows that we do. Because, you know, if, if we did, if, if Racine Theater Guild did shows and people of color were cast in roles that they wouldn't typically play because the person in the Broadway production or in the movie or whatever or on TV um, doesn't look like them and they got cast in those roles, we probably wouldn't have this conversation. But that's not the case. And whether Doug wants to deny it or not, you can't tell me for one second that you only cast a show by ability, which is what you should be doing, which is what you say you do, but you don't. And if you say that, you're lying. And you have said it and do say it 
you're a liar. Sure, there are some roles that you cast by ability, but for the most part, that's not what you do. History shows otherwise. Certainly not, you know, when you tell someone when they're 20 that they're too fat and plain looking to be the romantic lead. Because I know that I'm capable of playing that role. I certainly knew I was capable of doing it back then. But, you know, apparently ability had nothing to do with it. You say one thing and you smile in front of the public. Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what I do. But behind the scenes, it's horseshit. It's absolute horseshit. And I defy you to say otherwise. And I know for a fact that my look and the look of people of color is under more scrutiny than people who are not. Because I can't tell you the number of times that I've been in a show and I was told that my hair is too ethnic looking and that I need to have shorter hair. Or my beard is too ethnic looking and that I need to clean up my, my, my facial hair. That actually happened. And, you know, I know that there are people who get cast in a role where maybe the, 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 the character they play is supposed to have a very specific look. You know, oh, they got to have jet black hair. They got to do this. They got to do that. No one's ever asked to dye their hair. They get to wear wigs or keep their hair the same. But I can't tell you the number of times that I was told that my hair needed to change. That's just, your hair's too ethnic. It makes you look too old. But that was never told to other people. I mean, you know, I can see if, if I need to look very specific. Hey, you know, the, your, the character you're playing has a bald head. Okay. That makes sense. Hey, the person you're, you're playing has a blonde, um, curly afro. Okay, that makes sense. But to play a nondescript role and be told that your hair looks too ethnic or that your hair makes you look too old or your beard makes you look too old. You know, I, I didn't hear that said to a lot of folks um, in, in that organization. So you tell me. We, we, you know, speaking of, of, you know, sort of singling people out for their attributes, um, you know, women at the Racine Theater Guild, especially women in their 20s and 30s who are being considered for a role as an ingenue or, you know, the leading lady or, or whatever, um, they are the objectification of women in that organization is absolutely abhorrently disgusting. Women not getting specific roles because they're too chesty or you're too sexy to be in that role and no one will take you seriously. You're too much of a distraction. So we can't, I had to put you in this role and not that role. 
people are going to be distracted by your curves. No one's going to take you seriously as an actress because you have large breasts. These are things that are actually said. Or backstage, sitting in the green room, waiting to go back on stage and listening to people that are involved in the show talking about an actress or actor on stage in different shows or the show that they're working on um, where they say, you know, this person's too fat to be in this role. I don't see how, I can't see how that person got cast in this role. Or your gut's too big for this. Just blatant. And the behavior of some of the men in, in that organization and the way that they react to people bringing that to their attention is absolutely disgusting. And the person you would think, the person that you would think is, should be, you know, sort of regulating all this is almost as callous and inappropriate as some of the other people. Laughing it off, making jokes and inappropriate comments of his own. And I'm talking about you, Doug. I'm talking about you. And you're not the only one. There are others too. But, you know, depending on who you are in that organization, it's either important or it's not. It's either dealt with or it's swept under the rug. You're either, you're either taken care of or you're cast out. There's, it, there's different sets of rules for different people. And it's disgusting, quite honestly. It's disgusting. There are some disgusting people that, that are involved in that organization. Disgusting people. I'll name one right now who used to be on the board of directors but was removed because he is a disgusting individual. And his name is Davidson Kane. And my contempt for his, his disgusting behavior is not a secret to some people, but some of you don't know, and perhaps someday you will, of the disgusting, inappropriate behavior from that man. Removed from the board of directors for his behavior. And then was, you know, put on suspension for whatever, served most of it during COVID, and is welcomed back with open arms. Most recently, in Sweeney Todd, where he plays the, the guy who seeks revenge on the people who wronged him and were disgusting to his wife. How ironic. You're a disgusting person, Davidson Kane. And there are people who know exactly the things that he's done that for some reason or another just seem to be okay with it 
No problem. No worries. Cool. It's, it's disgusting. So anyway, to continue on, um, I started to feel worn out. And not because I was grinding on every show, doing, you know, sound and spending all my hours there. I have no complaints about that. There were times where I came to the theater at midnight and was there through the, through the night working on stuff. Because I wanted, I wanted a good show. I wanted, I wanted good sound design. I wanted, I wanted something more than, you know, a 45-minute, you know, Disney piano version of When You Wish Upon a Star at the beginning of a show for pre-show music. I actually care about sound design. I care about what it means and the experience that people get from the, the audible things in the show. And uh, so I never, I was never mad or, or bitter or bad an eyelash at having to be there as much as I was because I, I, that place means a lot to me. It still does. But um, all of the things that was, that were weighing on me and, you know, some of the things I've talked about, the diversity, the lack of diversity, the sort of the, the heels that are dug in and the 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 double standards and the you know so many things and uh i started to feel i started to feel stretched too thin as a result and so um i was um telling some people that i was probably going to resign from the board and maybe even uh, sort of take a indefinite sabbatical so I could recuperate and sort of recenter and refocus and, and, and figure out what it is that I really want out of my involvement with this organization. And uh, apparently it got out and people, you know, I mean, I know who it was, but um, it's it's theater, and um, you can't have secrets in theater. And I've said the only way three people can keep a secret in the Racine Theater Guild is if two of them are dead. That's off. It's an awful place to try to have privacy or autonomy or 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 you know any sort of uh, secrecy. I mean, I guess it's appropriate because it's a theater and all the world's a stage, but you can't, you can't have any there, at least not in my experience. So, uh, you know, I did Clue, which was a lot of fun. And I know some of you will say, uh, you know, you're complaining about not being the lead in a show. Well, you were the lead in, in Clue or one of the leads. Well, that show only has X amount of people in there. And the role that I got was not the role that I auditioned for. And I'm certainly not mad about the fact that I was in the show or that I 
got the role that I got. I thought that um, it was a lot of fun. Um, for personal reasons, I wanted to be uh, Wadsworth. And because that movie, the movie means a lot to me, um, especially as it pertains to the relationship with my mom. Uh, and, uh, and so I really wanted that role. And I didn't get that role. And it apparently got out. Now, I didn't say these things, but these are the things that were told to Doug that I was telling people that the reason I didn't get the role of Wadsworth is because I'm black. That's what was told to Doug. And I can tell you that I never said those words. I, again, I wouldn't say I was black. I would, people know I'm not black. I tell people I'm not black. Um, so the fact that that was the direct quote is, should be an indication. I didn't say those words because I wouldn't say those words. And also, um, I don't feel that way. But, uh, you know, there was some growing tension between Doug and myself at this point. The, the, the fracture was getting bigger between him and I. Um, and it was palpable at times, but we still were able to maintain um, a, you know, working relationship, as it were, because um, despite the fact that we didn't always see eye to eye on, on casting ideology and some other ideology, um, Doug wants quality stuff, and I was doing quality stuff, and that was important to me, so whatever. Um, I don't have to like someone to work with them. I don't have to be their friend. Um, I will be respectful as long as you're respectful to me, um, but it's fine. So uh, did Clue uh, screwed up my knee again because I took a lot of pratfalls in that show and I don't do half-ass in anything that I do. Um, and, you know, I'm not a small guy, so... Um, I sort of threw caution to the wind and was doing pratfalls um, that were not uh, necessarily uh, beneficial to my body, but especially my knee. And uh, I, I, uh, I screwed up my, my knee pretty bad again. And so I was, you know, again, uh, needed to take a break. And again, mentally, I was drained Physically, I was drained, and I needed, you know, I needed some uh, some room to breathe. And so um, I took, essentially, um, after Mama, not, not Mama Mia, uh, or yeah, maybe it was Mama Mia. Uh, after Mama Mia ended, I decided, you know, to take a time out. And I will tell you that from 2019 up until Mama Mia, um, and I think I'm right about this. Um, I was involved, whether on stage or backstage or both, with every single main stage production at the Racine Theater Guild. It was a hell of a long stretch. And I'm proud of that accomplishment. Um, I certainly wasn't doing it for, for a pat on the back or anything like that, but I, you know, I was, um, I was very proud of, of that streak. And uh, 
and it meant a lot to me and I felt what I was doing mattered in some fashion or form but again the cracks were starting to show and I will tell you that during Clue um, to get back to Clue because I forgot to mention some things um, I was um, I was uh, I was burning the candle at both ends um, between my job and all the shows I was doing and also um, the situation with my mom's uh, cancer and her care and everything, I was just completely wiped. And, uh, you know, I know that, and the people who were in the show can attest to this, um, I never got any sort of courtesy or, hey, take a break or, hey, how's it going? Um, but I can tell you that the person who played Wadsworth in the show, um, who couldn't bo be bothered to show up to auditions on time and wasn't showing up to rehearsals on time and was even late to some performances um, because he was having marital issues, Doug went out of his way to ask cast members, specifically someone who was close friends with that person, to, hey, how's he doing? What can I do to make sure the star of the show doesn't drop? And how can I make things better? Do you have any news? And then when that person would finally show up to rehearsal, however late, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes late, and we finally got to rehearsing, and then we'd take a break, and Doug comes up behind him, rubbing his shoulders, like, hey, how's it going? You let me know if you need anything. Meanwhile, if I show up late to a rehearsal, or I miss a rehearsal because of XYZ, I get an email, hey, your commitment stinks. Your attitude stinks. You need to do more. You need to do better. All that kind of stuff. But I'm grinding through all these shows, doing all this stuff. I'm working a full-time job. My mom's dying of cancer, and I can't get even a modicum of, of empathy or sympathy. Maybe if I was having marital problems, I'd get a back rub too or a pat on the back, but I wasn't, so that was frustrating, and again, the cracks were starting to show, so um, after Mamma Mia, I was basically, everything was up in the air, and I offered um, to help crew um, or train someone to run the soundboard for the mics for Into the Woods, which was the next show of of the uh, current season or the season that just wrapped at the theater guild. It was the summer show. And again, having been on a streak of participating with every show, um, you know, I was like, okay, well, at least the streak will continue. And um, despite my, my offer to help, um, even, you know, at the beginning and also my offer to help after I audibly heard the PSM talking about um, not having enough crew people for certain days and stuff. 
um, there was a deliberate attempt to keep me away from that show. Okay. Fine by me. I'm not gonna, not gonna cry over it. It is what it is. But, um, you know, there was definitely, it was definitely deliberate because why would you turn down help from someone who you know is talented behind the scenes? And why would you turn down help from that same person when you need someone? You're basically desperate. And again, there was a deliberate attempt to keep me away from that show. Not sure why. Maybe it was because um, that per the director of the show didn't like me for whatever reason. And that's fine. I don't care. I, I'm not, I don't lose any sleep over that. I, I just don't. And then they blocked me on Facebook. Okay. Whoop-de-doo. Whatever. You know, if you're going to be a jackass, at least own up to it. Don't, uh, don't try to sugarcoat your, your douchebaggery with niceties and smiling. So, you know, you can pretend to try to fool the rest of the world about what a nice guy you are, but I know the truth. Many people know the truth. You're an asshole. Plain and simple. So as the summer was wearing on, um, I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to give this one last shot. Now that I've had some time off to think and to breathe and to get all of this figured out, um, I'm going to give this another shot. So uh, I stayed on with the board, um, but it was more of a, you know, wait and see what happens kind of thing. And um, I decided to... Uh, audition for uh, Native Gardens, which again was a show that um, in terms of representation, for the first time ever in any show I've ever done at the Theater Guild or otherwise, I got to play a Hispanic person, which may not seem like a big deal to most people, but finally, you know, um, representation and being able to draw on my own experiences um, and representing uh, in a positive manner because the character I played was a was an attorney who was married to um, someone who was you know getting their doctorate. You know this is a successful you know upper class or upper middle class or whatever you want to call it successful um, Hispanic American American couple, and so. Um, we did that show, and it was, you know, there were uncomfortable conversations about, you know, casting people, specifically um, making sure that we're casting Hispanic people to play Hispanic people and so on and so forth. And I understand that, that mindset. Um, it makes sense, um, especially in, in this day and age. It certainly makes sense. Um, but... Um, I had a, a lot of fun doing that show, but again, the the cracks were still there. Um, you know, my mother passed away during uh, <laughs> uh, during the run of Mamma Mia, 
and uh, and not the run, but the rehearsal process. And I had uh, specifically said to um, to Doug that there's one day that I will not be at rehearsal, and it's Mother's Day. And in all the years that I'd been involved at the Theater Guild, we never, ever had Mother's Day rehearsals. But then all of a sudden, now we have Mother's Day rehearsals. And so um, I told him, you know, it's my mom's, it's probably going to be my mom's last Mother's Day on earth before she passes away. And I, I need to be there. It's important to me. It's important to her. And if it means that you need to replace me in the show, so be it. But um, I, there's, I will not no- negotiate. I won't do a part, partial rehearsal, whatever. Fine, no problem. Well, um, my mother passed away uh, Tuesday, May 3rd of 2022, which was the week, um, you know, essentially a week before um, Mother's Day, um, or at least a couple days before Mother's Day. And um, the grief was still obviously very, uh, very fresh. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to do. I was just trying to figure out how I could keep my mind off of everything that had happened. And I came to rehearsal on Mother's Day. Um, And I was in the green room. I was working on sound stuff, working on other stuff. And uh, Doug happened to walk by at one point and uh, grabbed some Twizzlers off of the round table in the green room like he does, like most people do. And... uh, He's walking back towards the stage, and he stops for a second. I'm sorry, not the stage, um, the stairs to go upstairs to the lobby. And he says, I thought you weren't going to be here. Do I remember that correctly? And I said, yeah, I wasn't supposed to be here because I told you I was going to spend Mother's Day with my mother, but she passed away on, on Tuesday, which I hadn't, at least that I can remember to that point, told anyone. And the response I got from Doug was, wow, that sucks. That's pretty much it. Wow, that sucks. And that was sort of the um, the thing in my brain that sort of spurned all of this. I realized at that point that um, I didn't matter there. Not the way that I should matter. I matter because... I can do stuff for you and the organization. I can do sound. I can do this. I can do that. I can act. I can sing. I can do all that stuff. But I don't matter. And that was, that was the sort of the, the, the nail in the coffin for me. And I'll never forget just the very casual, you know, like telling me what you bought at the grocery store. I got some lettuce today. Uh, wow, that sucks. Now, make no mistake about it. I got um, some flowers sent to me um, by someone at the Theater Guild. Don't know who it was. It didn't say. It didn't matter. I appreciated the flowers. Um, there were people at the Theater Guild who were very... Uh, supportive and offered their condolences and checked in on me and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and then, of course, sometime after that um, very heartfelt conversation of, wow, that sucks, I got a, hey, if you need time off, let me know, you know, you got to focus on you and your family and all that kind of stuff. But tell that to everyone, I suppose. I didn't get a, you know, a back rub or a pat on the shoulder, or even a half-assed hug. I got a, wow, that sucks. That's what I got. Um, so I, you know, was thinking of, you know, I said I was thinking about leaving and, and, and stopping and stuff. And um, I remember the conversation I had with my mother um, before she passed away. And I decided that um, I was going to give it one more try. And so I did. And again, I did Native Gardens, fun show. Um, and then uh, sort of the, the final stretch of what happened. Um, I auditioned for The Little Mermaid. And I knew that... Um, I knew that uh, realistically, based on my, my experience in history at the Racine Theater Guild, that there were probably only two roles that I would be seriously considered for. One of them was Scuttle, and the other one was Sebastian. And so um, I auditioned with that in mind, and I got called back for Sebastian. And so... Uh, did the callback, and this was in the midst of the run of Native Gardens. So I believe we had a performance that day, and um, and so the callback was either before the performance or between you know you know between the two shows. I can't remember which, but um, uh, did the callback. Um, Doug was there. The music director was there. The uh, choreographer was there and um, the other person who got called back. Now, I'll tell you one thing, is I'm not one to, I'm not high on myself. I don't, you know, go around tooting my own horn. But I had what I thought was a spectacular callback audition. And um, nothing against the person who got the role, but He'd tell you himself, as he told other people, you know, Norgie did. Norgie was so good in his callback, it's going to be Norgie. And, you know, I wasn't going around saying, oh, yeah, he's right. Um, but, you know, but I, everyone was in the room. I, I'm, I'm not stupid. I'm not uh, completely um, deaf or blind. I, I, I wasn't rooting for him to do badly, but, um, you know, I, I nailed that callback audition. So, uh, did the callback, do the show, the, uh, do the, uh, the performance for, uh, the, the weekend for Native Gardens. And I believe it was a Monday or a Tuesday or whatever the hell it was that I got an email from Doug telling me that they wanted to offer me the role of King Triton. Now, 
the email that he sent me, um, which he sent in the morning, um, I didn't see until much later in the day because I work for a living. And so I have to focus on work. And, um, you know, he'll try to tell you that um, I did it deliberately and I've done it before in the past. And that's, um, that's, uh, that's his version of the story. And that's fine. But um, so by the time I got home, and saw the e and actually checked my email and saw the email, um, I was taken aback for a number of reasons. Number one, um, I thought that based on just my callback audition alone, that I would be Sebastian. Additionally, um, I didn't think that uh, I would ever be considered for King Triton. Um, and if you are still with me at this point and you know my history at the Racine Theater Guild um, and sort of the history of casting at the Racine Theater Guild as far as I'm concerned, um, first of all, uh, I'm not old enough, at least by outward appearance, to be this character, the King of the Sea, who's supposed to be, you know, very, very, um, has been around a very long time. And he has seven daughters. And I thought, you know, from, a, from an optic standpoint, um, are all of these girls going to look like me? You know, are they going to, are any of them, you know, um, have any ethnicity um, that relates to mine or skin color or anything like that? And so all these things went through my mind. And I, I, was, I was kind of um, shocked. And also um, surprised. And I don't handle surprise as well. Um, so I have to really think about these things. And so um, I wasn't familiar enough with the show to say yes or no. And also, you know, Triton had a very small part in the movie. Um, but I know that they had fleshed out his role in the musical. But, you know, I wasn't prepared for considering Triton. So um, when I got home, I asked very specifically or very politely um, for some, for a little bit of time to consider it because, you know, I was again, surprised and, and shocked and everything else. And I was trying to figure out, um, what the sort of the, uh, the mindset was or what the, uh, what the line of thinking is behind offering me this role. Not that I'm not capable of handling the role. Um, and you can judge for yourself if you saw the show, if I did a good job or not. Um, but just, you know, again, thinking about those things with my history. And so I got, I sent an email to Doug asking for more time to think and that I was surprised and, and confused and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the response that I got from him was, you know, one of those emails where he, um, he was a little tougher in the email than he likes to be in person. And so, um, I was, I got pissed off again and I drove to the theater guild right then and there. And I apparently had just missed Doug by five minutes or whatever the case, whatever the hell it was, I just missed him. And so I went there the next day and sat on the balcony or the, the, the patio, the, the, you know, the, the outside waiting area, um, until he got there and I was there a good 20 minutes just working, waiting for him to get there. 
and uh and so he showed up and you know we went into the lobby and i basically told him you know i thought i told you before that you weren't going to send me any more of these emails i thought i made that very very clear um doug was very defensive in that he said that um i was disrespectful because i told him that i've never ever disrespected him i've always been um i've always played the, the you know the company guy um you know i've always been polite you know whatever the case may be you know i i i said i was i just wanted i only asked for more time i wasn't i didn't tell him you know you owe me more time or this that or the other thing i just asked for more time to consider it because it wasn't a role that i was even thinking about auditioning for certainly not one that i thought i would be considered for so um you know he he told me that i was disrespectful he told me you know i should be honored that um i was even offered a role let alone um considered for one uh and that uh you know you might think that uh that triton is a supporting character but he's a lead character and uh he's got a he's got a a, a big part and and uh he's got a great song and you shouldn't be you know i can't believe that you would be so ungrateful as to you know act this way and again i'm i'm thinking to myself what's with all of this uh this uh hostility and 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 being defensive um and also you know i asked him point blank tell me i shouldn't be surprised tell me i shouldn't be surprised based on the history of my the shows that i've done here and the history between you and i that i shouldn't be surprised that you offered me a person of color the role of the dad in little mermaid to be the father of seven mermaids none of which have are are people of color tell me i shouldn't be surprised and he said well you shouldn't be we cast you in this role because um you know you have a great stage presence and you know you have big booming voice and you know whatever the nonsense he spewed at me and um i said well i am surprised and he said well why are you surprised and i said well you know to be quite honest with you uh i was there and present for the callback auditions for um for the other person and i know that my callback audition was definitely stronger and his response to me was well the choreographer music director and i have to disagree with you and i told him that that was a lie and i know it was a lie because um it had gotten back to me that um the only reason that i had been cast as triton is because they didn't have anybody else and so they had to sort of you know fit me into that role and if you would have been honest with me i would have been okay with that hey just tell me the truth you know but you couldn't be honest with me you lied right to my face and then you were a complete asshole in the process basically telling me you know we're never going to get past this we're talking in circles you know i need to do this and there are other people that i could that would be grateful to have this role 
just kept shutting me down at every turn. He didn't want to have a debate. He didn't want to have a conversation. He didn't want to have, you know, whatever. He just wanted to um, shut it down. And then finally I said, okay, Doug, give me the fucking roll. And I walked out. And so uh, we're doing the show. And again, I'm the cracks are getting bigger and bigger. Um, but I knew that the end was near for me. This was, this was sort of my swan song, so to speak. Um, the, the outreach shows were always important to me because, um, again, being that kid in the theater, I needed to, uh, I wanted to sort of pay that forward. And I wanted people, young people who look like me to, to get that same feeling that I got when I was a kid. I can do that too. I really want to do that and just to be mystified. And so I, uh, I did the show and, uh, we had a board meeting in November and I can't tell you the date specifically. So I apologize, but it was definitely November and board meetings at the theater guild occur the third week, the third Tuesday of every month. And so it was at a location um, in the downtown area. Um, and we were missing a couple of people who were out of the country, out of town. Uh, Steen Sanderhoff, the president, was out of the country and a couple of people were gone. But um, as we're sitting there doing the meeting, I can't seem to get this thing out of my head that... Um, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. I'm, I'm not in there. I can't, I'm not into it anymore. I'm, I feel like nothing is changing. Uh, we're not, you know, all the talk, all of this, you know, some, some rules had changed, um, where, you know, people who, who are, um, in a show can't also be on crew. People who are the crew head can't also be, you know, part of that crew. Like you couldn't double dip anymore. And, um, I wasn't there for the board meeting or the, the production meeting where that was decided. And, um, and so I didn't get to go and sort of advocate for um, why I thought that that was a bad idea because selfishly it affected people like me the most because I did so many shows where I was double dipping. I was on stage and on the crew or I was on the crew, you know, doing sound design and so, so on and so forth. And so there's only a handful of people at the theater guild who, who sort of, um, at least regularly do that. And I became one of them. And, um, I, you know, I don't want to say that that rule was put into place to, 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 uh, to give, to make as a slight at me. Um, I'm not going to say that. However, um, it affected me probably more than it affected most people at the theater guild. And so I didn't like the rule and I still don't like the rule. Um, I understand what the reason is behind the rule. Um, in trying to get more people involved in crew and, and have, uh, you know, offer those opportunities to other people. But I think they went about it the wrong way. And also, you know, in knowing who's been on some of the crews for shows since I left, clearly um, the idea of having new people in those roles and creating opportunities apparently doesn't matter. Because you've got some of the same people doing the same stuff over and over and over again. That's fine. 
not my monkey, not my circus. But anyway, um, so I decided in that moment um, that I was going to resign from the board. And so at the end of the meeting, uh, you know, when we have it uh, open forum or round table, whatever, does anyone have anything else they want to add? I raised my hand and I said uh, something to the tune of, um, um, I need to inform the board and everyone here that um, effective, that I'm resigning from the board of directors effective at the, con the adjournment of this meeting. And uh, there was a very awkward and um, audible, uncomfortable um, murmur in the room and rightfully so. I mean, I, I, it, it came out of nowhere, but at the same time, um, I thought that that was probably a better option than writing some, you know, some email from or letter from the comfort of my home and giving people the benefit of, uh, of saying these thing, this thing to their face, because I respected a lot of people on that board. And, you know, I thought that that was the right thing to do. So I resigned and then the meeting was adjourned and I got up and left. Um, one, because I had rehearsal that night for Mermaid, and also because um, I just wasn't in the mood to entertain whatever conjecture or, you know, conversation that they clearly wanted to have. So I left, and I went to rehearsal, and I felt better. Um, I'm not going to lie. Um, I felt like a weight had been lifted because um, it was it was bothering me. And so... Um, I did not personally tell Doug that I resigned from the board. Somebody told him it was not me. Um, I'm assuming that someone that was at the meeting, um, texted him or called him, but I, I think I can pinpoint the exact moment that Doug was informed that, or at least read that, um, I had resigned from the board because there was a moment during rehearsal where I saw him look at his phone and his face, um, he had a very puzzled and surprised look on his face. And um, I assumed that that's when it was. I could be wrong. Doesn't matter. He found out anyway. And that changed the dynamic between Doug and myself. Because from that point on, Doug did not say a word to me, save for a couple here and a couple there, um, for the rest of my time at the Racine Theater Guild. When during rehearsals, during performances, if he had to give me a note, um, nine times out of ten, what was happening was he was giving the note or whatever he wanted me to know to one of the actors in the show and have that actor relay it to me. He would not, he would not, uh, he would not acknowledge me, no hellos, no no, hey, let's talk, what's going on, none of that. He completely just um, disregarded me. And that's fine, you know. I, I certainly expected a little more, um, you know, uh, class than that, but uh, it's, it's fine. It, it's what it is. And it sort of um, made me realize that I was making the right decision because... This is the leader of the organization, and this is how he's comporting himself. And it's just lending itself to my point that, um, you know, I'm not, 
I don't belong there. I'm not welcomed here. You know, I don't matter there the way that I should matter there. And so, um, the, the show, um, continued. It was very successful. Um, of course it's Disney, very talented cast, very talented crew. Um, I don't have anything bad to say about my experience with that show. Um, at least from that standpoint, obviously I was not conversing with Doug, um, which, you know, that was his choice, not mine. I didn't tell him not to talk to me. I didn't tell him to give other actors, uh, the notes that were meant for me. Um, that was all on him, but he knew that I was, that I was pissed off. He knew it. Um, and maybe that's why he avoided me because Doug does not like confrontation at all. And, um, in most cases, he cowers from in his office. And sure, he's an internet tough guy. He loves sending, you know, emails, dressing people down. But when it comes to doing something in person to your face, don't count on it. It's just the way that he is. He's a coward, quite honestly. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that was my last show there, um, at least in a tiny capacity, because I was also um, the sound designer for uh, uh, Drop Dead, which was the show that was um, happening after Little Mermaid, um, as well as, uh, I want to say, Perfect Wedding. And so my involvement was still there, but very slight. And in my... Um, I, and I don't know, and I apologize for jumping around here, but, you know, in the midst of some of this stuff, um, there was a, uh, there was a, a DEI committee that was formed, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it was a committee that, um, was long talked about, but nothing ever materialized. Um, and most of the talking happened right before COVID and then during COVID as we were meeting virtually um, through Zoom, you know, the talk was renewed and I had expressed interest to the board president, um, Steen Sanderhoff, that I would like to be on that committee, but also chair the committee because I, I thought that that was important. Um, I'm involved in DEI committees um, professionally, and they're very important to me. And I, and I thought that I brought a lot to the table and this was an opportunity to, you know, to bring about some real change. And so, um, and so, uh, when the conversation came back up, uh, at a board meeting, Steen was still talking about it at the meeting. And I had emailed him and said, Hey, I would like to throw my hat in the ring for this committee but to be considered as chair of the committee. It's very important to me, and I think that it's a step in the right direction for the Theater Guild. Um, it turns out that um, before sort of the, uh, everyone had the opportunity to sort of digest everything, um, uh, Steen had offered the, the chair position of the DEI committee to Mona Lewis. And Mona reached out to me um, 
at some point after the fact and, you know, uh, said that uh, Steen told me that you had expressed interest in chairing the committee after he had already asked me. And so, um, which, you know, uh, isn't entirely true because I had expressed interest in chairing that committee, uh, you know, two years before um, when it was first being talked about. And she said, uh, you know, how do you feel about um, being the co-chair? You know, and I, uh, I thought about it and I said um, to her, you know, I will accept the position of co-chair, but I want you to know that there's going to be difficult conversations that happen, right? There's going to be tough decisions and difficult conversations because there are lots of things that, that need to be talked about. But, you know, it's important that we understand that this isn't, you know, we're not, it's not a, it's not a, it's not an argument. It's not personal. It's just, you know, some of these things are uncomfortable and tough to talk about because, you know, it involves change and some of the things that um, need to change are things that are upsetting. And, uh, you know, I also said that um, I thought it would be a good idea to have a committee member as part of the committee who had no Racine Theater Guild um, association whatsoever, like a community member. Um, and the reason I thought that was a good idea is because I thought that maybe by, have, by having a community member, we had, a, we had a, a control, we had a balance, someone who is not as emotionally invested um, in the organization as we were and someone to sort of temper our, our enthusiasm, um, for lack of a better term. And so um, we, um, I sent her that email and, um, you know, she asked, she said, let's meet, let's meet up for coffee and talk about some of these things. And I said, sure, let's do that. And um, she canceled on me, which was fine. Um, but we never got a chance to discuss these things. So in preparation leading up to our first DEI committee meeting, she asked me to give her information on the person who I thought would, um, uh, that I wanted to nominate to be a committee member. Now, the person who I nominated um, has a, an immaculate um, record and, um, you know, uh, wonderful credentials, doesn't need an introduction from me, certainly, um, very community oriented. This person also happens to be an out, an upstanding and outstanding, um, citizen in the community and an African American woman who is very involved in the community, very, uh, uh, respected, um, professionally and personally. And so um, I didn't, I waited until our first meeting because I wanted everyone to hear about my nominee and, um, and her qualifications and, you know, why I thought it was appropriate to have a, a community member. And so, um, um, you know, I was basically, it, I got the sense from Mona that she um, while she offered me to be co-chair of the committee, it was more or less just a uh, for optics because she didn't want to involve me in any of the decisions or the conversations. It was very much a, 
I'm doing this. And Norji is co-chair. Um, and so um, that was very frustrating, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to just cower. I thought, you know, I need to, I need to really sort of push back on this because this is important to me. And so um, after she basically said that, you know, we can't just willy-nilly have people on the board or on the committee. They need to be vetted. You know, what are their qualifications, so on and so forth. And then um, later that day or the next day, whenever it was, uh, Mona sent out an email to the committee letting us know that um, that uh, welcoming um, Lauren Instanez to the committee as its newest member. And while I don't have a problem with Lauren Instanez personally or at, at all, um, I was a little bit taken aback because she had just told me that we can't willy-nilly have, you know, put people on this committee without a conversation and vetting them and what are their qualifications. And then just, hey, Lauren Instant is, is now on the committee. And so when we had our very first meeting, um, she was asked, you know, why, why does Norgie's nominee need to go through this sort of extensive um, arbitrary vetting process? Um, but Lauren Instant is apparently just gets, you know, uh, 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 what do you call it? A free pass or a, or a, whatever the case may be, where she just gets to skirt all of the, the, the vetting. And the response that we got was that, um, that um, she is a uh, lesbian woman, so she represents the LGBT community because, quote, she's all about that life. Now, I don't know her that well. I really don't. Um, I've never had any issues with Lauren Encinas. Um I remember her when she was much younger and very involved at the Theater Guild. Um, always nice to me, always a good person, good head on her shoulders. I was not aware, um, at least at the time, that Lauren Encinas is, um, is gay. And it's not my business to know. And I didn't know that she was, if she was out or what. So I was a little bit surprised that um, that was so casually dropped. But at the same time, um, saying something like she's all about that life is, is, is dangerously arrogant, number one. Um, number two, what qualifies them to be, you know what I mean? Like, here we are, you're talking about vetting people and stuff. Um, I know that, that Mona is her friend. Um, and I'm sure that there was a little bit of nepotism for that reason. But, you know, if I have someone who's very, very qualified or even overqualified to, to um, be on this committee, chair the committee, whatever the case may be, um, shouldn't we be going through the same process for everyone? So um, one of the other members of the committee, you know, was asking why, you know. You know, you still haven't answered why. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Um, so maybe you can explain it to me better why 
one person gets to be on the committee and the other person doesn't. And Mona, exacerbated, said, do I really have to explain this to you again? And we were shocked because uh, we weren't expecting sort of that hostility. Um, and uh, certainly not that answer. Um, and so uh, we like took a break um, because things were getting tense um, and things were getting you know a little chippy. And so during the break, um, I was having a conversation with one of the other committee members and was talking about my experiences um, as a person of color and my experiences at the theater guild and you know wanting more diversity and wanting the theater guild to be a place where you know people can come and be themselves and not be ostracized because they're a you know a certain color or identify as a different gender or you know they you know they can be themselves and that's all i've ever wanted for that place but um you know more representation and so i was talking about a specific situation and i can't remember what it was um that um, I had experienced at the Racine Theater Guild. And as we're having the conversation, um, you know, Mona had, had, had come back from wherever she was, the restroom or a phone call, whatever. And, uh, and so when I got through with my story, Mona said, um, you know, Norgie, I was around 20 years ago when you started, and I don't remember it being that way. Maybe it's just an attitude problem. Or I'm sorry, maybe it's just a personality problem. And everyone that was there, uh, it was, uh, I think there was just three of us other than, than Mona, or in addition to Mona, collectively had our jaws on the floor from what she had just said. And... Uh, and so one of the people in the meeting basically said, you know, I think it's important, Mona, that when somebody says something in this committee, we have to consider what's being said, what's being talked about, and who's saying it. We can't just disregard someone's um, experience because it wasn't our own experience. We, th that doesn't negate what happened and again we were all still just very shocked that those words came out of her mouth um but also not surprised because um she's not the nicest person to everyone um quite honestly um and so uh the meeting essentially wrapped up and, you know, uh, the same person who told Mona that we need to listen to other people and consider what they're saying said, what about, what are some things that we could do right now? Small, tiny, no matter what they are, that we could do to change some of the culture in this theater. And the first thing I said, I said immediately, I said, no, I know exactly what we can do right now. Go downstairs to the green room and take down that picture on the wall from, I believe the show is Lend Me a Tenor, where there are people in blackface. 
right now. I can't tell you the number of times that there have been uncomfortable conversations in the green room because someone who maybe has never looked at all the pictures of shows in the green room stumbles upon that picture of someone in blackface. People being appalled, people audibly gasping, people being upset that this picture is hanging on the wall. Take it down. I know for a fact that pictures, multiple pictures get taken of shows. Does that have to be the picture that you chose to hang up for the show? Um, that's what I said. And, you know, the next day that I was at the theater, that picture was gone. And I'm assuming, you know, it's because of that conversation. But while we were, um, while we were all sort of uh, having our little postmortem, Mona said, you know, as long as we're talking about things that we can change um, to make things better around here, I think we need to stop using the term little old ladies. That, um, that in, that's an insult to me, and there's lots of little old ladies here who might surprise you. And I thought to myself, how, how badly do you need to be a victim or play a victim or gatekeep victimhood that you would say something so stupid and asinine as stop saying little old ladies when you just told everyone on the committee but me in particular, you know, I was here 20 years ago when you started. I don't remember it being like that. Maybe it was a, a you know, a personality problem. And then from that point, I had no use for, for her anymore. No time. And there were conversations that happened after the fact because um, that was an uncomfortable situation. And also, you know, I hate to say this, but of all the people that could have been asked to be the chair of that committee, and I certainly um, m let it be known that I wanted to be a chair for that committee, but at least be on the committee, um, that Mona was chosen as the chair of the committee is one of the, um, one of the biggest injustices in the theater guild and also an indictment as to what part of the problem, what part of the problem is at the theater guild. There are plenty of people, um, especially people of color, um, that could have, here's an, again, here's an opportunity for you to do something to make a difference. The answer is right in front of you and you ask her who is one of the most narcissistic, self-absorbed, self-centered, selfish, conniving, condescending, patronizing people I've ever met in my life. Every opportunity to make something about herself, she takes it and turns it into a two-act show. And I'm sorry for those of you out there who... Um, are friends with her. But this is not new information to many people. Her reputation for her behavior on stage and backstage is legendary.
And in addition to that, Mona admittedly said that she's one of the people who wrote slash crafted the sexual harassment policy and committee for the theater guild. And yet, uh, when a situation got brought up regarding sexual harassment or, or sexual misconduct, she blabbed it around to a lot of people. And the, the, the secrecy and the privacy and the integrity of um, people involved, um, gone. Because she opened her big fat mouth. So, um, anyway, uh, I finished uh, Little Mermaid. And so what ends up happening is I, uh, I decided to audition for a show at another theater. Um, and that theater was doing Sister Act. And I thought to myself, okay, here's an opportunity for me to do a show that I actually really enjoy doing. And I'm going to give it a shot. Maybe, maybe there's something here. So I auditioned, and I got cast in the show, and I got to reprise my role as um, as Eddie Souther. And uh, I posted something on Facebook um, about my being cast in the show, and I took a not so subtle shot, a not so subtle shot at Doug. Um, by invoking the fat and plain-looking comment I got all those years before, and name them by name. But that was a not-so-subtle shot. And, uh, and so I, po- I had posted something else on, on Facebook, and I believe um, it was a meme of um, Lord Farquaad from Shrek, and um, because there was a pretty bad um, snowstorm that was coming through and, you know, shows the show was not canceled or anything like that. And they don't cancel shows due to weather. And that's a pretty well-known policy. But I thought it was funny. Um, so I made a meme out of the Farquad picture. And um, the, the line he says in the, in the movie is, some of you may die, but that's a risk we're willing to take. So I had a meme that it said, you know, um, uh, schools, events canceled, uh, you know, city events canceled, community theater, some of you may die, but that's a risk we're willing to take. And, uh, you know, again, it it was meant to be funny, but um, after that uh, post, uh, Doug blocked me on Facebook. He, the person who will out loud say that he doesn't block anyone on Facebook. Um, you know, if, if someone, he's got friends on Facebook who say things that he does not agree with that are bigoted or whatever, and um, he doesn't block people. And then he blocked me for the meme. And sure, maybe the collection of the thing that I said before 
of, of getting into Sister Act, but he blocked me on Facebook. And that's fine. Um, it, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because um, everything, somehow, everything I've said on social, on Facebook, um, you know, whether, and I never, again, never uh, said anyone's name specifically. I haven't even named the organization specifically on Facebook. Uh, somehow, Doug was still getting all of the information fed to him. Somebody was still giving it to him because there are people on my friends list right now that um, are only on my friends list because they are reporting things back to him. And that again, that's fine. I don't care. Uh, you know, some of those posts were meant for him. So, you know, the, it's getting to the intended arc, audience either way. So, um, so he blocked me on Facebook and then, um, let me find the, uh, the email here that, um, I was sent by Doug, um, after having not said a word to me, um, for God knows how many weeks, um, the first thing he uh, sent to me was this email, which was on January 27th of this year. Norgi, it is clear by your online posts, resignation from the board of directors and the play reading committee, and by not responding to emails from the board president and others, that you are unhappy with me and the Racine Theater Guild organization. It doesn't seem that your negative feelings towards me will be changing anytime soon. You and I have gone through periods of ups and downs over the years, periods of working extremely well together and other times working under great stress and conflict. After discussing the situation with the vice president of the board, I will be replacing you as PSM of Sweeney Todd. It is not clear when you resigned from the other RTG activities if that also meant that you were resigning as PSM. In any case, I think it's clear to both you and me at this point in time, we do not make a good team. The director and PSM must both feel that the other respects and supports them. The PSM is my right arm, and we must have excellent communication and trust. Unfortunately, you and I do not have that type of relationship. I hope that our personal conflicts do not stop you from volunteering for other directors and other shows. You are a talented guy and have worked well with guest directors in the past. Guest directors are an important part of RTG, as it gives people who are not fond of me a way of participating in RTG activities. In addition, our problems of working together as director and PSM will not stop me from casting you in shows. The relationship between an actor and director is very different from that of a director and PSM. I'm sorry our relationship has gotten to this point. However, I do believe the RTG is big enough that the two of us can coexist, just not as PSM and director. Now, um, admittedly, I got pretty pissed off about that email because um, I was still committed to being the PSM of Sweeney Todd and um, also was very excited about participating in the show because from a technical standpoint, um, there it's such a, uh, a tech-heavy show and I just wanted to be part of it and I, and I was so excited for the possibilities and this, that, and the other thing. And I, um, I, um, I, you know, I decided I wasn't going to audition, that I wanted to be involved in the crew. So um, I did not respond to the email. Um, I thought, you know, if I respond now, um, it's not going to be very positive. It's not going to be very good. 
So, uh, on February 26th, um, it started February 25th because I started crafting the email um, late at night. But this was sent to, um, I sent this email to Doug as a response, as well as every member of the board of directors at the Racine Theater Guild. Because I had a lot of things to get off of my chest, and I used this as the opportunity. So I'm going to read to you word for word the email that I sent to them regarding um, this entire situation. And again, you're not going to like what I have to say, some of you, um, but, um, and I have to um, redact some of the things because um, other reasons, but here we go. I would tell you how surprised I am by the fact that your first real communication to me since the start of The Little Mermaid is you essentially firing me, firing me from being PSM of Sweeney Todd via email, no less, but that would be a lie. You went out of your way to avoid talking to me for almost the entire rehearsal process and run of Mermaid, even going so far as to not give me any notes throughout the rehearsals, but instead give them to a cast member to pass along to me. Obviously, there was some tension between you and I from the starting line of Mermaid when I emailed you and said how surprised I was at your decision to cast me as Triton and not Sebastian, additionally asking for a little time to consider the offer, only for you to email me back and tell me you were mad at me for asking for more time and how thrilled I should be to be uh, offered the role. When I came to Racine Theater Guild the next morning to talk to you about it in person, it didn't go over very well, did it? I told you again how surprised I was citing your casting decisions regarding me in the past, but told, uh, but told me that I was wrong about that. Then I told you I wasn't angry I didn't get Sebastian, just surprised, which is why I asked for some more time to think about a role I wasn't familiar with, and you said that I do this to you all the time, which I told you wasn't true. Then you decided to tell me that I did this to you for a clue, further stating, I heard a rumor you were pissed off about not getting cast as Wadsworth and said that the only reason I didn't, get cast, I didn't cast you as Wadsworth is because you're black, which pisses me off because that means you're telling people I'm a racist. Let's talk about how ridiculous that statement is. First of all, I'm not black. I'm Hispanic. So why would I tell anyone that I didn't get cast because I'm black? Secondly, I've been involved with Racine Theater Guild since I was 19 years old. Do you think even for a second that I would be involved with an organization for almost 20 years of my life if I thought you, the person in charge, was a racist? The fact that you would even contemplate entertaining that notion that the rumor or idea that I thought you were racist is incredibly insulting and, quite frankly, beyond my comprehension. Excuse me a second. And if I ever did think you were racist, I'd tell you to your face because when I have an issue or grievance with you, I come to you to discuss it face to face like an adult because that's what adults are supposed to do when there is differences of opinion. I like to work out problems. You, on the other hand, seem to prefer the internet tough guy approach to confrontation. <clears throat> Excuse me. To confrontation where you fire off a seething email from the comfort of your office because you think that it's okay to talk to people the way that you do in those emails. Like back in 2008, when I was still relatively new and I auditioned for Nathan Detroit and Guys and Dolls, you offered me a role in the ensemble, which I accepted, but I also asked what I needed to do and what I was missing to, in order to be considered for a bigger part like Nathan Detroit. And your response to me was, quite frankly, Norgie, the reason I didn't ca cast you or consider you for that role is because you're too fat and plain looking to be Nathan Detroit. You're not a lady killer, and you'll never be the romantic lead in any of my shows. I brought up that wonderful chestnut when I came to talk to you about Mermaid, and your response was, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. 
You didn't bother to offer an apology for the awful thing you said to me when I was basically still a kid because that would require you to admit that you were wrong. And I know better than most people that getting you to admit that you're wrong, especially about something related to a show, is not something you're comfortable doing. I've been carrying that chip on my shoulder for over 15 years, and you'll never have any idea how damaging what you said was to my self-esteem and mental health. What do you know? What you do know is that it was the first and only time I ever dropped out of a show at RTG. I also brought up in our mermaid conversation uh, the rumor I heard about nine to five casting. I really only wanted one tiny little part to be Dora Lee's husband, Dwayne, but I didn't get that part because quote Norgie doesn't look like a cowboy. Why don't you tell me, Douglas, what a cowboy looks like? Maybe it's worth noting that 9 to 5 took place after the show Things My Mother Taught Me, a show I'm very proud of, but one that was met with some backlash due to the fact that I played a character who was in an interracial relationship with a white woman. What a time to be alive, but I digress. It seemed to irritate you in our mermaid conversation that I said I knew my callback audition was better than the other person's, enough to where you told me that... The music director and choreographer clearly and I clearly disagree with you. And if you would have just told me that you had cast me as Triton because of lack of options for that role, I would have understood. Instead, you said that I was being disrespectful and a typical pretentious actor and lied to my face when you told me that my audition wasn't as good as I thought it was. I know that it was a lie because I heard it straight from the horse's mouth. I'll let you figure out who the horse is. I know casting a show is difficult, but you can let people down without being a giant asshole about it. Let's wind the clocks back a year to when you were casting Clue so that I can put to rest this idea in your head that I said, you didn't cast me because I'm black. And that I purposely drew out, uh, that I purposely drew out the accepting the part of Mr. Green. Was I upset you didn't cast me as Wadsworth? Of course I was. It was the part I actually wanted. And are people supposed to be overjoyed when they don't get the part that they want? My disappointment had absolutely nothing to do with the ridiculous notion that it was because of the color of my skin. I was merely disappointed, as all actors are, that when they don't get cast in the role that they auditioned for. That's just a natural reaction. Obviously, I was still heavily involved in the show, both on stage and behind the scenes. And like every show I'm involved with, I completely threw myself into it. I gave you a great sound design and took some heavy-duty bumps in that show. What really pissed me off about the show was your incessant coddling of the guy who plays, played Wadsworth, an RTG part-timer who couldn't be bothered to be on time to most rehearsals and was even late to auditions and showed up late to several performances. Part-timers are people who show up when they want a part, get the part, and then leave when the show is done, giving nothing back and leaving the rest of us holding the bag. You referred to him as your star and certain and asking and asked certain cast members, um, what can I do to make sure my star has everything he needs and doesn't quit the show? All because he and his wife were having marital problems. How many times did you hold up rehearsal until he came in 10 to 15 minutes late? How many times at rehearsal during a break did you walk up and give him a, one of those everything's going to be okay shoulder rubs and ask him if everything was going to be okay? I lost count. Meanwhile... As my mother lay in the hospital, her body riddled with cancer and multiple system organ failure, I never had rehearsal held up for me because I showed up on time. I, got, I never got the everything's going to be okay shoulder rubs, and I sure as hell never showed up late to a performance. I never got so much as a how's your mom doing, 
And I only ever asked one thing, that I be excused from Mother's Day rehearsal you scheduled for Mamma Mia. In my recollection, you never had rehearsals on Mother's Day, but I told you it would probably be my mother's last day on Earth, or last one on Earth. And I wanted to make sure that I was there for it. That never came to pass because my mother passed away five days before Mother's Day. I ended up going to the Mother's Day rehearsal. I was actually very early working on sound in the green room. You had come down a few times and said, um, before you said, do I remember correctly that you weren't going to be here today? To which I said, I wasn't supposed to be here today. I was supposed to be celebrating Mother's Day with my mom, but she passed away on Tuesday. Do you remember what your response to telling me that you, uh, telling you that my mother died? Let me refresh your memory. Wow, Norgy, that really sucks. It will never get any easier. Then you grabbed some Twizzlers and went about your day like we had just discussed what we had for dinner. That's the response I received from you when I told you my mom died. Eventually, you told me that you understood if I had to take time off or drop out of my PSM responsibilities for the show, but that was all the courtesy that I got from you, except for a flower arrangement that I received, but I wasn't, it wasn't sent specifically from you. It was sent from RTG. So committed, so committed was I to Racine Theater Guild, I sacrificed time with my dying mother in order to fulfill my responsibilities to the shows I was in. As last season came to a close, I was banged up pretty bad, and I was not in a good place mentally. The knee I re-injured during Clue um, was in pain, and I was constantly feeling something I don't usually feel, anger. So I decided I wanted to take a break or step away for a minute so I could take care of myself. I told another board member in confidence that I was probably going to resign from the board and step away from RTG. I should have known better than to open my mouth because the only way three people at RTG can keep a secret is if two of them are dead. So I know that rumor mill was flying, but I decided to swallow my pride and try to soldier on continue being involved. My knee was too injured to audition for Into the Woods, and despite what appears to be bad blood towards me from the director of the show, I went so far as to offer out offered to help backstage, helping to run the soundboard, sound tech, light tech, etc. I was never asked to help with the show, even after being told about a plague of sound issues and people going down with COVID. It seemed like a deliberate attempt to keep me from helping on that show. And as if to prove my point about the bad blood towards me, the director of the show has blocked me on Facebook, which, while apparently wondering why I didn't audition for <sighs> other shows. Let's talk about the board. When it was announced that Bob Benson and Mary Sue Langendorf were departing, I looked at it as another opportunity to step up and help make a difference, but I wasn't selected for either of those positions. And despite the conjecture, I wasn't mad about who got those positions. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Ian and Stacy. What irritates me is the lack of transparency, transparency in the process. With the exception of the nomination committee, the process is never... Um, the never discussed on the board level or shared with the membership. There's way too much cloak and dagger and backroom dealings in this nonprofit organization. Just like when submitting nominations for new board members, we submit the people to the committee, but we're never a part of the decision-making process. It's not, a it's not a very good look from an outsider's perspective. Then all of this talk about changing the rules for volunteers came up where people are no longer allowed to be in a show and on the crew or be PSM and a crew hand, i.e. double dipping. I wasn't at the meeting where the decision was discussed and made, but I want to be clear that the rule change is completely ridiculous. Supposedly, the rule was put into effect in order to keep people from burning out and to create opportunities for other people. I'm all for creating opportunities for other people and training new talent, but I feel like this rule punishes people like me 
who actually like being that involved in shows. I was still willing to play ball, however, as I held a sound design workshop that was very well received and attended. I'm disappointed that I never got to see that through all the way. Despite my repeated vocalization of interest in being more involved in board committees, I was only ever on the production committee, while there were new board members that were on several. I would argue that there were non-board members on more committees than I was on. Back when I was first asked to join the board, the idea finally came up about starting a diversity, equity, and inclusion DEI committee. I immediately expressed interest to Steen not only about wanting to be on this committee, but to chair it as well. This was back in 2020. As COVID continued its devastating presence, the discussion about the committee waned until it was brought up again early in this season. I once again expressed my renewed interest in chairing the committee and was subsequently sent an email from Mona saying that I expressed interest in chairing the committee after Steen had already asked her to chair, which is flagrantly, flagrantly false. She asked me about my interest in being co-chair, further stating she would appreciate my honest feelings and that we would meet, need open, honest communication and respect. I agreed to be co-chair, stating that DEI is really important to me and that I, that I am involved in a region and statewide DEI committee at work. I said there is a vast amount of room for growth in this area at RTG, and it's going to involve some heavy conversations. And those conversations might have some headbutting, but meaningful debates are part of the game. I further stated that we should add a community member to the committee, someone who has no RTG affiliation and can act as a control or middle ground for us as we needed an outsider's perspective in order to temper our passions for the organization. Mona and I were supposed to meet in person to discuss the, our visions for the committee, as well as in pers uh, the person I had in mind for the committee community member for the committee, but the com meeting never materialized. In the meantime, she asked me for the credentials of my nominee because we needed to vet potential members of the committee before we allow them to serve. It was clear to me that not only was Mona not interested in my idea of adding a community member, but she had no interest in treating me as an equal co-chair. I'm sure every DEI committee member remembers the fallout from the first meeting we had, the meeting where after I stated some very personal things about my early experiences with RTG and how I want to uh, things to improve for others, Mona said, well, Norgi, I was around 20 years ago when you started, and I don't remember it being like that. Maybe it was a personality problem. The meeting where after discussing the immaculate credentials and resume of the community member I wanted, Mona stated that she believed that a community member wasn't necessary and that we need to do more vetting of potential members, further announcing in addition uh, the addition of Lauren Instonis to the committee. When asked by uh, Stacy Malakara why Lauren was added to the committee without discussion, but my nominee had to first go through a rigorous vetting process. Mona stated, well, Lauren's been involved with RTG her whole life, and she's a lesbian woman. She's all about that life. When asked when the last time she was involved in a show, Mona said, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, to which Stacy then asked, wasn't that like four or five years ago? I still don't understand why she gets a free pass. To which Mona replied, do I really have to explain this to you again? The meeting fell apart because of Mona's inability to make to not make things about herself. Uh, we tried really hard to rein the meeting back in, suggesting that maybe we should think about little things that we could do to change right now. I suggested we take the blackface picture off of the wall in the green room, as it uh, has long since been an uncomfortable talking point. Mona said, as long as we're talking about things we could change, we need to stop using the term little old ladies because it offends me. There are lots of little old ladies around here who do things that might surprise you. 
So badly did Mona want to be a victim that she let the nonsense spew from out of her mouth. I think Mona's involvement on the DEI committee, especially as its chair, was a mistake from the get-go. Not only is she on several committees already, but it's clear to me, as it is to most people, that Mona's number one priority is Mona. When I brought up sanctions and removal from the board for misconduct being added to the bylaws, it was because of Mona. You see, when the board was dealing with that situation and trying to keep it as buttoned up as possible, Mona was casually discussing the situation with people and spreading the story like she was TMZ. I had a few people come to me and ask about the situation, and when I asked them who told them the information, they all said the same name, Mona. I reported the situation and nothing was done. Perhaps it's because you, Douglas, were more interested in victim blaming for spreading the inf- the vic- victim blaming the accuser for spreading the information, uh, going so far to say that her and I were responsible for the information getting out. Your handling of that situation was and is nothing short of abhorrent. I'd be willing to wager that if it was your own daughter that was the victim in this situation, you'd treat the situation with a lot more care and professionalism than you have with this one. The irony of the situation is that Mona claims the sexual harassment policy and committee was her brainchild. Mona should not only be kept as far away from DEI committee and sexual harassment committee as possible, she should be removed from the board of directors for gross misconduct, which resulted in violating the policy, the trust of the board, and the volunteer who filed the complaint in the first place. The volunteer who filed the complaint continues to be vilified, victim blamed, shamed, and retaliated against, while the guilty party gets to be involved like nothing ever happened. What a wonderful message to send to women involved with Racine Theater Guild. Shame on you, Mona, and anyone else for that matter, for gossiping about the situation like you have. I sincerely hope that the board does better in so many ways. If you want to attract new and youthful volunteers and members, you have to stop talking about it and stop talking about doing it and actually do it. The old ways aren't working, and people of color are starting to avoid RTG if they're even aware of its existence. Here's one idea. Instead of sending out casting notices to predominantly POC schools and organizations when you need them for certain parts, you should try sending them all casting notices all the time. That way, they find out more about the theater and the opportunities they could have, making them feel more welcome all the time instead of just when you need them to show up and be black or brown. You squandered a wonderful opportunity with Aquila and the Bee when you decided to have it only play for one weekend of shows. Squandered. Then, when someone on social media called you out for it on the fact that you extended every other show of the season but Aquila, further reducing it from two weekends to one, you couldn't be bothered to give an honest response. Instead, you gave a canned response, citing COVID being responsible for the reduction of shows, which doesn't make any sense, because why would you redu- only reduce the amount of performances for one show and not the others? Then after I resigned from the play reading committee, some of the shows that I pushed for, A Raisin in the Sun, Fences, and Dreamgirls, were taken off of the list for consideration because that one black guy you know told you that those aren't shows that we can do because no, one, uh, no people of color will show up for them. But as you can see, People of color aren't flocking to RTG to be in Mamma Mia or Hello Dolly, are they? Maybe they would if they were cast in roles that weren't necessarily written for them, but I don't see that happening too much either. 
So yes, I resigned from the board of directors in November. It was a big shock to everyone in the room. But I wanted to tell you to your faces and not in an email. I just couldn't do it anymore. I tried really hard to stick it out, but I had to remove myself from something that was having a profoundly negative effect on me. After I resigned, Ian Anderson, the vice president, reached out to me almost immediately, and Steen reached out to me when he returned to the country. I didn't think it was appropriate at the time not to focus on the show I was in, plus I didn't really have time to meet with them. I'm sorry to both of you for not responding. You, on the other hand, Douglas, instead of coming to me like an adult and trying to have a conversation in an attempt to repair your relationship with a dedicated volunteer, went out of your way to ignore me and childishly send other people, sent others to ask, to ask people you think are close to me for information. How ironic that one of your famous lines is, dramas don't sell when you're the one at the center of so much drama at Racine Theater Guild, almost as if you thrive on it. Quadrat, quadrat demonstrandum. I've never shied away from a conversation, especially one that was important to have. I thought maybe after spending my entire adult life committed to the organization, I would be treated with a little more courtesy and respect than what you've given me. Yet, despite your behavior, I was still willing to serve as PSM for Sweeney Todd because I am a man of my word and I still care about the Racine Theater Guild. I even already had people committed to being on the crew, but you decided to take this course of action instead because, as I stated before, you don't have the wherewithal to admit that you're wrong or that you made a mistake. You can't handle confrontation. Lord forbid someone challenges you. You sure as hell can't say you're sorry, but what a feather in your cap it must be to tell me that I can still work with guest directors or that you'll do me the solid of casting me in your shows. How magnanimous of you. So you're right. I am upset with you and the Racine Theater Guild organization, mostly you. And yes, I did take some not-so-subtle shots at you and RTG via social media, Douglas, resulting in you blocking me on Facebook. You've gone on the record of saying that you've never, you never block people you disagree with on social media, so I must have really struck a nerve for you to block me. Was it, mature, was it a mature thing for me to uh, do? No. But I have a big fucking chip on my shoulder right now, and your behavior pushed me to this point. So you'll have to excuse me if I hurt your delicate feelings. Maybe now you'll have just a small taste of the feeling that I and many others have felt when you decide to fire off one of your ridiculous emails. Words matter, don't they? Just like every show you direct, when you give us all the speech about treating each other with respect, talking to and treating each other like we've known each other for our entire lives, and how RTG is one big family, and families don't always get along. You're right. RTG is one big family, Douglas, and thanks to you and some select others, I don't feel like I'm a part of that family anymore. I hope you do some real soul-searching and reflecting, because while I'm getting involved with other organizations and feeling the sense of family and appreciation I once felt at RTG, you're going to have to explain to people why RTG's arguably most dedicated volunteer your current John McAnally Volunteer of the Year Award winner, has walked out the door. This email, which shouldn't be mistaken for just some petty-fogging manifesto, comes from a place of deep longing for change. I challenge the duly elected board of directors to consider all of the things that I've said here and make meaningful and actionable changes and strides. The Racine Theater Guild has been a staple of Racine for close to a century, and if it is to, and if it is to be a staple for another century to come, then the time to do something is now. The time for talking about it is over. The time for self-congratulatory pats on the back for a job well done is ended. Fervently do I hope that those who still consider RTG their haven and those who have yet to discover its wonders 
will one day see their patience rewarded and faith restored by the benefit of real change, and that this mighty scourge of dis- division may steadily pass, speedily pass away. So that was the email that I sent uh, to Doug in response to um, everything, but specifically being removed from uh, Sweeney Todd uh, as the PSM. And again, I, I point out the fact that, uh, um, you know, that uh, it's the first thing he said to me in weeks. Then there was a response from Mona. Mona said, how sad. Many intrusive regarding me. If any board member would like to discuss the allegations against me, I would be happy to do so. There were many quotations used here, which were not what I said. If only Norgie had reached out to me privately, I wish you healing, Norgie. I never responded to Mona. Um, not going to waste my time or breath on, on Mona. Um, you know, just like I thought, she denies the allegations, and that's fine. There are witnesses to the things that she said. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just giving you my part of the story. Um, I then got a, um, an email from Steen uh, the next day, and it said, Norji, I was very surprised and saddened by the mail I received as a board member at RTG. A lot of people have been hurt by the allegations and accusations. Racine Theater Guild is a successful community of dedicated volunteers and staff with the best intentions of furthering the arts in Racine. To secure an orderly and fair organization, RTG is governed by its bylaws and manual policies and procedures, which the executive committee, board, and managing director strictly follow. It is a shame you felt compelled to send the email. That was from Steen Sanderhoff, the president of the board. Now, that email was sent to me, but also only the executive committee. It was not sent to the entire board. I replied uh, later that day, uh, if you think that the people who were hurt by the allegations and accusations feel bad, imagine how I and the other people who suffered at the hands of those who stand accused feel. I think it's fair to say that you, Steen, as well as other board members are in- and interested parties, are not aware of how deep and far some of these accusations reach. While I understand your obligations to defend RTG as a successful community of dedicated volunteers and staff with the best intentions of furthering the arts, in Racine, to secure an orderly and fair organization, RTG is governed by its bylaws and manuals, manual of policies and procedures, which the executive committee, board, and managing artistic director strictly follow. The truth is, there have been many instances where the members of the board, some who I named in the email, and the managing artistic director have acted with impunity. I still maintain that the organization as a whole is a special place for many people, but a place that is special to many can be a traumatic place for others. Sure, it's a place staffed with dedicated staff and volunteers uh, with the best intentions, but as they say, even the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Sending the email wasn't my favorite thing to do. I didn't relish in the act of saying what I said, but that doesn't mean that my grievances are baseless or without merit. Mona can deny the allegations against her to the board all she wants, but there are literally witnesses to the things she said at the DEI meeting just as there are witnesses to her telling people outside of the board about the situation, uh, sexual harassment situation. 
Her actions are indefensible. The majority of my ire, of course, was directed at MAD, Managing Artistic Director, Doug Incinez. His role as the de facto leader of RTG is not a license for him to behave in the ways he has, and it's certainly not a free pass that grants him immunity to be shielded from the scrutiny of the board of directors to whom he's supposed to answer to or the court of public opinion. I disagree that it's a shame that I felt compelled to send this email. What is a shame is that the actions of certain people one of which happens to be the managing artistic director, have continued to happen for so long, without consequence, before someone finally mustered the courage to finally speak out. I refuse to be ignored. I will not be silenced. That is the last communication that I have received from anyone at the Racine Theater Guild in an official capacity. Um, I haven't heard back from Steen, I haven't, no, Doug never reached out to me. Uh, Ian never reached out to me. Um, I've had a couple of board members privately reach out to me. But um, the truth of the matter is, um, that was the end of, of the back and forth. Um, I am aware that after this email was sent, my original email was sent to the board, uh, Doug attempted to suppress the... Uh, conversation by informing the board that what was said in my email w could not be discussed at the board level, that if people wanted to discuss it, they could see him privately in his office. So in an attempt to control the narrative and sort of sweep this under the rug, uh, he was telling them that it couldn't be discussed at the board level. And um, I know that Someone asked why it couldn't be suppressed or why it couldn't be discussed because, again, he doesn't answer to the board. I'm sorry, the board doesn't answer to him. He answers to the board. That's the way it's supposed to be. That is, um, that is the hierarchy. Um, now, I will say that in many cases, that's not how we act or how they act uh, historically. Um, I believe that. There are people that have served on the board and currently serve on the board that are basically um, ditto heads, empty suited yes men that are there to placate everything that he wants to do. And, you know, I tried to serve on the board as someone who used the opportunity to advocate for the people who didn't get to be on the board and give them a voice. And there were a couple times that, um, you know, uh, I was vilified for speaking out against something or saying something and told that, um, you know, my attitude stinks and no one's going to want to work with you. And, you know, you're insulting this person or that person and blah, 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 blah. Um, I served on the board of directors um, to the best of my ability. And... I have no regrets about the things that I said, the things that I did, the, the, the participation, the advocacy. I tried to be a good steward for the organization as well as represent them well wherever I went to. Um, and try, again, tried to give a voice to people who, you know, maybe felt like they were um, disenfranchised. And being one of the people who felt a little bit disenfranchised, I thought that I had, you know, some ground to stand on. And there were flashes of change and discussing change. And I just got very fed up with the 
the carousel of of ideas and how long it takes to discuss something and how long it takes to vote something it's just it's it's very frustrating i i understand that there is a process with a board of directors and you have to have votes and you have to have discussion and and this that and the other thing but you know when you're talking about basic human decency um and and common sense things it just it's irritating that we have to wait and i took issue with a lot of that um now many of you have seen some of my posts on social media on facebook um you know and again i didn't mention people specifically uh in those posts or even the organization um, you can draw your own conclusions, but I want to be clear that uh, my posts were not an indictment of of the cast of a show or the crew of a show or both of them or part of both of them um, or the show as a whole. Um, you know, and you have to understand um, while it may seem petty to you, um, I'm 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 working through this um, the best way that I can. And despite the fact that, you know, I was blocked on social media by Doug, all of the information, all of my posts, all of my whatever, somehow he was still seeing it. So there are people on my friends list who are clearly um, feeding, the, uh, feeding the machine of information, uh, and he's getting it because, you know, uh, if, if he... If he has me blocked on on Facebook, which he does, he shouldn't be seeing it. Um, but he he's still getting the information. So um, I um, I know that uh, I said or posted things on on Facebook that were upsetting to some people, and I understand your the reason why you feel the way that you feel. Because again, like I stated um, in the beginning you're reacting based off of what you see and you don't have all of the information and you probably still don't have all of the information. Um, I had to redact some things, like I said, um, but um, everything that I said is the truth, the way it was done. And uh, I want to make thing a couple of things clear. Um, I have never, ever, 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 ever called Doug Instant as a racist. I have never, ever, ever, ever thought he was a racist. Ever. Now, along the lines of casting in a show, um, I have felt that there are times that I didn't get a role because I didn't look exactly like the person in the Broadway production or um, in the movie or the TV show, whatever the case may be. There are times, um, but I'm not using that as a as a cloak to say that it's racially motivated. I don't feel that way at all. Um, additionally, um, I don't know why the idea came out that um, I thought he was racist. Um, those words never came out of my mouth. Um, it's just not the way that um, I am. Also, um, that's a hell of a word, and 
racist, racist and racism has almost become a cliche these days because it's easy to throw those words and insults out. But it's a very, very heavy accusation to make. And I never made that accusation. Um, I never inferred that accusation um, or insinuated it or alluded to it or wrote it down on a piece of paper and stuck it into a, a jar. I will go on the record of saying, I do not think that Doug Incinez is racist. Um, and it's a shame that he thinks that I think he's racist, but I never fed into that idea. That was not my, I did not uh, perpetuate that notion. Um, again, have I felt left out of roles because of XYZ? Sure. But, um, you know, I don't think that has anything to do with racism. Um, I just think it's antiquated casting. Um, and also, you know, I, I maintain that if you create opportunities for people um, of color, um, especially giving them a fair chance in roles that aren't necessarily written for them um, historically, then we wouldn't be having um, part of this conversation. And, you know, I don't want a role because I'm darker than the person next to me. I don't want to be handed a role. I don't. What I want is to be part of the conversation. I'm not telling you that you should um, hand me the role of Nathan Detroit because I'm dark. But I'm telling you that um, my talents should merit that I'm part of the conversation. That's all I'm saying. And that should be the case for everyone who's in a show or wants to be in a show. It's just that simple. You know, you got to create opportunities. And the only way that you create opportunities is for the opportunities to be presented the same way for everyone equally. And um, I don't feel that that was always the case for me. Did I get cast in shows? Sure. Was I in those shows? Sure. But that doesn't mean that the things that I've said are without merit or justification because they are. And I understand that um, some of what you've heard is upsetting. It's upset. It's as upsetting to me to have to say these things as it is to, um, for you to listen to them. I didn't want things to end this way. Um, certainly not. And um, I would have maybe had a conversation, an adult conversation, but um, this is what the fallout is. Um, I love the Racine Theater Guild. I have deep respect and admiration for many of the people who continue to, to volunteer and volunteer there and work there and are members and, and actors and crew members and whatever. My ire, this, this is not a fight against you. Um, in some cases, it's a fight for you. Um, not trying to sound, you know, magnanimous, but, you know, uh, I, I tried, I, I, I did the best that I could while I was there. And was I perfect all the time? No, no. And I know that sometimes it's difficult to work with me because, um, you know, I'm, I can be sarcastic or dry or whatever the case may be. Um, but I tried to be as respectful and um, 
uh, welcoming as possible and to be a good representative for the organization and make people feel welcomed and like they belong there. I wanted people to feel the same way about that organization as I did when I first started doing things there. And I don't feel that way anymore. And I just also want to make clear that for those of you who think that this is bitterness about not getting a role or whatever the case may be, it's not. I literally could, if I never acted again, I would be okay. There is not a single role or crew, sh- sh- uh, crew position or award that is worth my dignity, my mental health, and my self-worth. And there are many people who have, you know, now and in the past said, you know, are you sure you want to say these things? Are you sure, you know, if you say this, you'll never get cast in a show again. That happened a lot in 2016 when I said those things on Facebook. Oh, you're never going to get cast in a show again. I can't say those things. I wish I could. But then I'll never get cast. And that's unfortunate because if you are living your life tiptoeing around the fact that you are not advocating for yourself or others because it will prevent you from getting cast in shows that you want to be in. I feel bad for you that you are putting being in a show ahead of being treated like a human being and having decency. And I decided that I wasn't going to be that person anymore. I don't care. I, I really don't. And trust me, to be clear, there are shows that I really, really wanted to be in this year at the Racine Theater Guild. And despite the fact that I probably could have been in those shows, I, I couldn't do it. Did I want to be in Stand and Deliver? Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to be in that show? And... I know that that show had a guest director and I was apparently welcomed to work with guest directors, but no, sorry, I'm not going to sell out for a role in a show. And I wouldn't have needed an earpiece and someone feeding me lines from the booth that I can tell you. I really wanted to be involved with Tin Woman because I loved the message. It was a great script, great drama, just great, great everything. And I remember at the season reveal when, you know, Doug basically said, eh, dramas don't sell, but we have a lot of money in the bank, so this is a season of bucket list shows. And from that moment on, that show was not important to anybody because of the way you introduced it. What a slap in the face of the play reading committee and also the people who advocated heavily for that show. Disgusting. Yeah, dramas don't sell. And maybe that's part of the attitude of why that organization doesn't do, um, you know, doesn't do more shows that feature diverse um, ideas or diverse storytelling. Why you don't do, see shows like Dreamgirls or, or Raisin in the Sun or Fences or The Color Purple, and the list goes on and on. Because there's this idea that we can't do those shows 
because of X, Y, Z, instead of just taking a chance. We can't do those shows because um, you just flat out refuse to do them. How do we know? If you build it, he will come, right? And it may not be the most successful show that's ever been staged. I know that Aquila and the Bee certainly wasn't, but it's a step in the right direction. And it deserves to be part of the conversation instead of just throwing our hands up in the air and saying, no, we can't do those kinds of shows. That's unfortunate, but that's the reality. And I, um, I, I wish this wasn't the result. I really do. I, I, I never wanted this to be this way. I never wanted this animosity. I never wanted this, this tension, this, this rift. But at the same time, I'm not going to stand for being treated less than I deserve to be treated. And neither should you. And listen, I've had multiple people unfriend me on Facebook recently, especially as it regards to um, their views on my post, my posts towards Sweeney Todd. And that's fine. I, I mean, if you want to feel that way, that's, that's up to you. If it, if, it, if it affected you that much that you had to unfriend me, okay, that, that's, that's your decision. Um, but clearly it didn't affect that many people that much because they're still on my friends list. Maybe they're just curious. I wish that the people who decided to shoot up their hand and start flapping their gums at me about the things that I posted on social media were as quick to act and advocate for important things that are part of the reason why I've left. Instead, you want to take it personally and make, make it look like I'm the villain or make it look like I'm personally attacking everyone that's ever been involved with a specific show or everyone that's ever been involved with the Theater Guild as a whole. Let's not forget that I was one of those people for 18 years. That's, that was my home. Not saying it for sour grapes. It's not sour grapes. It's just, you know. And again, is this the model way to handle things? No. But you guys also have to understand that I tried the diplomatic way. I tried the, you know, the, the right way, if you want to call it that. And it wasn't working. But apparently posting things on social media, especially pictures of me and certain people, that gets people talking. That got people's attention. That was enough. And none of you came to me directly to ask about any of this stuff. You all wanted to, you know, wanted to uh, badmouth me to each other behind my back. And yet, despite the fact that I wasn't involved with the Theater Guild or set foot in that place since the end of December, somehow I'm still the uh, center of uh, the nucleus of, of information. 
somehow people still, you know, trust me or, or want to talk to me. But instead of coming to me and trying to have an adult conversation and try to bury the hatchet or, or figure things out or, you know, hey, how can we fix this? You want to try to, you, you go to someone that's involved at the Theater Guild who you, you know, think, oh, well, they're really, really good friends, so let's, let's just go to, go to this person and get all that information. Which is really shitty, because if you think about it, now the friendship with this person is predicated not on the kind of person they are, but that they feed you information about me. And that person's uh, loyalty to me, or at least decency to me, um, supersedes their uh, capacity to give you the 411 on me, sending them screenshots. What does Norgi mean by this? What's Norgi thinking? What's Norgi got planned? So worried about me and what I'm doing and what I'm saying. And you should be worried about you and trying to be better and trying to make that place better. Because some of you know about all of this and have known about all this and you want to act surprised and you want to act like suddenly I'm the bad guy. And listen, if that means that I'm the bad guy, okay. Point your finger at me and say, there's the bad guy. Okay. But there are real problems here. There are real issues, real, real transgressions, and I couldn't handle it anymore. And I maybe would have been willing to just let this, let time just wash over things and just, you know, Stop my, you want to call it passive-aggressive, vague Facebook posting, which again, people tried to make about them and personal, which it wasn't. But then I got an email a week ago today from Doug. Now, this is only the second time that I have heard from Doug since the email where he told me he was removing me from Sweeney Todd. And, you know, again, upsetting but not surprising. Here's the email. Norgi, after discussion with Board Vice President Ian Anderson and myself, Board President Steen Sanderhoff made the decision to remove you from the McAnally Award Committee, I'm sorry, McAnally Award committee board committee's assignments are ultimately approved by the board president both ian and steen are out of town i felt it appropriate that i inform you of this decision so last year i won the john mcanelli volunteer of the year award which is a great honor um absolutely to be um to receive an award named after um, someone so highly regarded and dedicated to the organization means a lot to me. And also, you know, obviously a, a, uh, a cool way to be 
recognized for my efforts and my hard work. I never ever did any of this stuff for um, awards or adulation. I never have, but um, I accepted the award with great pride and honor. I did. Um, also, you know, again, uh, I think probably I'm the first person of color to ever receive the award, which is another nuance of, hey, maybe other people, this will inspire other people. And now, you, you don't say a word to me for months. You don't try to make amends. You don't try to apologize. You don't try to, you know, extend an olive branch. What you do is try to get information about me from other people. What you do is try to suppress my grievances to the board so that you can't be held accountable and people know. That's what you do. And then what you also do is you remove me from the committee to which every McAnelly Award winner is automatically on. The McAnelly Award winners automatically get to be on this committee, and they are the people who decide who the next person is that wins the award. That's their job. And I, I have to believe that I'm the first person that's ever, ever been removed from the committee. Now, let me be clear. I had no intentions of going to the end-of-the-year banquet. I wasn't even invited. I didn't get the email with the invite, which obviously was deliberate. I receive all, I'm on the mailing list. I still get emails about the call board and the shows and the auditions. This email was not sent to me. And that was deliberate. And you could have just let it go because you knew I wasn't going to show up to the damn thing anyway. But then you decide a week from when it happened, the, the end of the year banquet, to send me this email just to twist the knife a little bit more. So let's get a couple things straight. Number one, I won the award. You can't take that away from me. You can take my name off of the list if you want to. I have the award. You can't take it away from me. My name is etched in history now. If you think that taking me off of this committee is going to make me lose any sleep, it's not. It's a really shitty thing to do to someone. You know, someone who apparently you block on social media. There's no reason for me to be removed from that committee whatsoever. There are people who have done worse that continue to participate at the Racine Theater Guild. Get to be in shows, get to be on crews. I got removed from this committee. An appropriate bookend to my experiences at the Racine Theater Guild for everything I've done. And again, did I 
Was I always the perfect person? No. Did my posts on social medias, on social media the last few weeks hurt people's feelings? Sure. Understood. Understandable. Um, but to be removed from a committee that I wasn't going to participate in the thing anyway. And also, you know, I know that Steen is wrapping up his time as the president of the board, and I don't know if it's the end of his term or if he's stepping down prematurely, but very convenient that at the end of his term, he decides to remove me from the committee. And if you really expect me to believe that he initiated this idea for me to be removed, come on. I know better than that. I'm not stupid. The board does what you want the board to do. That's the way that it's always been. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the way that it's always been. You have, you have uh, a power that you shouldn't have. It's okay that you're in charge, but I think you've gassed yourself up to the point where you think that you are untouchable. Certainly to the point of being an internet tough guy and cowering in your office and doing things like this where you remove me from the Mac Award Committee like I'm going like to stay up at night and cry about it. I wasn't coming to the ceremony. I wasn't going to participate in the stuff anyway. That you had to, you had to throw this one last little, little uh, rock at me. Fine. It's fine by me. This isn't about a role in a show that I didn't get. Not about that at all. This isn't sour grapes. This isn't bitterness. This is just putting my side of the story out there because so many people want to know what it is badly enough to go to one or two other people and try to get it instead of coming to me directly. And now the whole world is going to know everything that has happened. And I invite anyone I've named on this episode, Doug Instanez, Steen Sanderhoff, Mona Lewis. Anybody to come onto this podcast and defend your actions or explain yourself to the rest of the world and give you the forum to say what you need to say or want to say. I don't see that happening though, especially since you didn't have the 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 sand or wherewithal to come to me and have a conversation in private but you wanted to have a conversation about me with everybody else just goes to show you and look this this episode is very long and i apologize and i hope that uh you know you're still hanging in there um and I'm sorry that this, uh, that this episode is so negative, but also, you know, 
it's time to get this off my chest. And here it is. Here it is. You know, and to, to, to receive an email from the guy hiding behind the board of directors and hiding behind his keyboard in his office in his crow's nest tells me that I'm welcome to come back and work with guest directors and that I can still, I hope that I still volunteer and you'll cast me in shows. But then you send me this email to kick me off of that committee. Right. You make an awful lot of important decisions for someone who's just there to direct shows. You make an awful lot of, of, you have an awful lot of power for someone who's there to just facilitate. And some of the decisions you've made and how you've gone about making them have had detrimental effect to the Racine Theater Guild and to many of the volunteers who have called that place home for many, many years. And I can tell you right now, I don't know if I'll ever, ever go back there. To be, I'm just being honest. I don't know if I'll ever go back there as a volunteer, as a member, as an audience member. I don't know if I can ever go back there. I can tell you this right now. Things need to change there. And it shouldn't, it certainly shouldn't take me ranting on a podcast for almost four hours for it to change. And I can also tell you that unless the person at the top, the de facto leader, Douglas Insanez, is willing to admit that he's got some shortcomings and that he's got some antiquated views and practices and can be totally unprofessional, I don't think the Racine Theater Guild is going to be a good place for people to participate until after he's gone. And maybe even then, I wouldn't come back. I just want you guys to see the, 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 so you think, you don't think that I'm, you know, acting out one-sidedly or that this is coming from nowhere or this is because, you know, Norgie didn't get a part in a show or because, you know, uh, Norgie's just being an angry, bitter person. No, I'm not angry. Not anymore. I'm not an angry person in general. But I needed to clear the air and I needed to get my side of the story out there because I got tired of the conjecture. And also this last email kicking me off of the Mac Award committee um, pushed me over the edge. And this is my, this is my response. I got all the time in the world. So there you go. Anyway, I extend my invite again to any of the people I mentioned to be on this podcast. And maybe even the people I didn't name, but I alluded to, to be on this podcast. And defend yourself or explain yourself. Tell your side of the story. I don't see that happening, though. You be my guest, though. I'm easy to find. I've had the same phone number for over 20 years. My Facebook has been the same. My email has been the same. 
Don't pretend that you don't have that information because you certainly have it enough to send me emails kicking me off of committees. You certainly know I exist because, you know, you're, you're lurking on my page, looking at everything that I do and asking other people about it. You blocked me on social media, yet you know everything that I'm saying and doing. Cowering behind the scenes. Oh, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Well, I said it. There you go. Oh, and just one more thing. They say time changes everything. I disagree. I disagree. It's not true. Doing things changes things. Not doing things leaves things exactly as they are. And that is one of the biggest reasons why we have this problem. So until next time, thank you for listening. Reach out to me if you have any questions. I'll answer whatever questions you want to ask me. I'll have the conversation. And uh, we'll see you next time.